there's a lot of different thoughts on this from one word. Hallelujah. I was reading a... Um, trying to think if it was... It might have been Tozer, A.W. Tozer. Uh, tremendous tremendous theologian from a couple hundred years ago. Way ahead of his time. I'm probably not turned on that. Okay, how's that? And uh, Tozer said... Uh, it's a word that's universal in every language, but in heaven it's considered the highest form of praise. I, I don't know who told him that, <laughs> yeah. but the word hallelujah is considered the highest form of praise. And uh, I guess it could be controversial and you could talk about it. The fact of the matter is, it is high praise. Um. If you go back into your in your memory banks, there was a time when uh, the Jesus movement was very prominent. Some of you that are from the 70s and into the 80s would maybe remember that we used to just sing that chorus all the time. It just said, hallelujah. We got some singers in the house. I'm not one. But if it's in one of your hearts, could we just sing that together for a minute? We're going to do communion. And I just want to set an atmosphere. Is that okay? Come on. Deb or Pam, one of you guys want to help us out? Nancy, I was any of you guys. Come on. <laughs> there you go. Hallelujah. 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 Sing, I love you, Lord. the Lord. Bless the Lord. You know, the cup I hold in my hand is his way of saying, I love you too. I love you too. And he loves us with an everlasting love. There's just an atmosphere right now. And I just feel the presence of God. It feels good just to, just to be with him this morning. And we consider our own hearts and realize the gift of God and what he's done for every one of us. You can take that wafer and just hold it in your hand. I've often wondered why they made these out of styrofoam. <laughs> 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 but 
But I find something amazing in that. We don't do it because it tastes good, that's for sure. But as we look at that, we realize, man, there's a tremendous, tremendous symbolism to the body of Christ and what he did for us. Because he really did. He he gave himself for us. He purchased us with his body and his blood. It's the price he paid for the healing of our bodies, for the remission of our sin. The scripture says on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take it and eat of it, all of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. You can do this in remembrance of me. You can take and eat. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. Hallelujah. After the same manner also, he took the cup. He blessed that cup. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and drink from this cup because this cup is the New Testament in my blood. And every time you drink it, remember me. Those are incredible words as we take and drink from the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the amazing grace of God that's upon our lives and upon our hearts today. We thank you for the love of Jesus. We thank you, God, for the price you paid, the incredible price you paid for us, that we might be saved and healed and delivered and set free. And God, you paid a tremendous price for us to live and walk in victory. And everything that we need to live and walk in victory, you have purchased for us already. And God, we bless you for it. And in it, we thank you, Lord, for meeting us here. And we just thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, and your goodness to all of us. So, Father, as we stand together today, we just want to bless your name and thank you, Lord, for what what you've already accomplished, the purchase price, and Lord, the love that you've shown to all of us. We're a blessed and a privileged people, and we thank you, Lord, that you're right here, right now. So God, we just bless your name together, and we thank you, and ask God for grace upon our hearts and lives as we open up our eyes and ears to understanding, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's a hearty amen. <laughs> amen. Let me talk to you about a couple of things that I think are real important. Um, if you saw on your schedule, Todd's here this morning. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you saw on the bottom of your schedule, it says schedule subject to change. <laughs> okay. Um, Todd is flying in today. He'll be here tomorrow. Okay. Um, but... Uh, you have me today, okay? But I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, there's, some, there's some neat things. Let me share some stuff with you. Uh, what I, my intention is this, uh, 100%. Two thoughts. In, in, in teaching, what, what, my, what my heart has always been is to bring us to a place of revelation and then to take that revelation to a place of application. Because if I get a revelation but I can't apply it to my life, it's really just giving me head knowledge. I, I'm, I'm one, of the, one of the concerns I have in the body of Christ is we've got a whole lot of head knowledge. 
And then we have meetings like this, and all we're having is a transformation of information. We can have a transformation of information, but if it doesn't transform us, then we're, we're really at a loss. We've not really gained. Um, I, we, have, we have seminaries and all kind of amazing things, and I, I don't even want to get into all that, but there's so many things that we can look at. But the fact of the matter is we've become students of learning, but we need to become students of application. We need to apply what we've learned because we're not going to change the world by our head knowledge. Okay, so we have to go after some things today. I will take you through some stuff. I, I will promise you some stuff that I show you today is probably stuff you've not seen before. I, at least I, I would believe you haven't seen it before, but it it will it will transform the way we think. But if we can transform the way we think, then we have to transform the way we act. Okay. So we'll lay a foundation. We'll kind of look at some things, and we'll talk about how I believe the church is in transition. I'll, I'll tell you this, I, I, the Lord really spoke to my heart last night. I know some of you were here yesterday morning, not all of you were here yesterday morning, but yesterday morning I was preaching and, and I couldn't get away from purity. It was just really, really strong in my heart and I was preaching on purity and, and took us through some of the Psalms of David and, and, and how, how David, his desire was to stay pure before the Lord and even though he messed up, he had the ability to repent. And he would come back to purity. And the Lord had given me a, a, a phrase a couple of weeks ago, and I'd even shared it. I might have even shared it in the class when I taught here last week. Uh, but it was power without purity is a dangerous thing. And the Lord really spoke to my heart about that, and I, I can't get away from that. Power without purity is a dangerous thing. So last night, you know, I, I don't know how it is for you guys, and maybe some of you have, have run some services or some different things or maybe taught a class or whatever. But do you, you may do, because I do it all the time, and I've been doing it for 30 years, and I'm still doing it, but you kind of lay in bed at night and wonder, now, how did that really go? <laughs> you know what I mean? And your mind spins, and you kind of think about all those things, and you're wondering, boy, did anybody get what I, you know? And you kind of meditate on what the day looked like and stuff. And, and I was just talking to the Father, and I said, Lord, I just, you know, I couldn't get away from the purity side of that. It was just really, really strong, and I, I found that I kept being drawn back by that and felt like it was the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, he says, we had to lay the foundation of purity because by the end of the month, you will see a power in your congregation that you've never seen before. So I'm pretty excited about that, you know. And, you know, sometimes you think you hear God and other times it's like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, it was like it thundered and the house shook. <laughs> you know, it's like, it felt like that to me anyway, you know, and it's just it's an amazing thing. But I, I will tell you that. We're coming into a season of power. And I honestly believe that in the body of Christ, we're going to see, can I say this? We'll have to see that power if we're going to change our world. Can, can I go here and talk to you a little bit? But the United States is gospel hardened. They've pretty much, can I say, a lot of people that you talk to, and this is what's amazing, and I want to say that, I, I, I try not to say the wrong stuff, and sometimes I feel like I do, but listen to, what I, listen to my heart in this. What I find is when I'm sitting talking with people who have been churched for a long time, immediately they're turned off until you start talking about the gospel of the kingdom. And they've not heard what, what can I say that what we've almost taken for granted now? But I know that seven years ago, eight years ago, when I began to study out on the gospel of the kingdom and saw the reality of what this thing's really all about, 
it totally flipped my lid. I, I don't know how it did for everybody else, but it like rocked my world because I'd spent years and years preaching a gospel of salvation and found out, wow, there's more. You know what I mean? Does everybody understand when I say that? Yes. So, so in the process of that, what happens is then like people's eyes light up, but they've gotten gospel hardened and honestly believe that it's going to take, can I say this? It was power that changed the first century church. It was the gospel power. It was the gospel power. You know, I, honestly, I mean, I watch sometimes because when you're when you're working or talking with people and just trying to share with them, I'm not a pusher. I won't push. I won't. I won't push what I believe on anybody. You know what I mean? But I like to. You know, there's an old phrase that says you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But if you put salt in their oats, they'll look for a place to get a drink. You understand what I just said? If you put salt in their oats, they're going to look for a place to drink. I'm, I'm an oat salter. I like to pour salt in oats. I'd rather they were coming to me and asking me. You know what I mean? Because then you know their hearts are open. I, I really believe that people are looking for the real deal. And, and I think it's going to come in amazing ways. So get ready, man. It's an amazing thing. But we can have all the revelation in the world if we, if, we, if we don't have application of that revelation. It hasn't done us a whole lot of benefit. Everybody okay with where I'm at? I, I just want to lay some things out there. Go to 1 John 3 and 8 because some of you know this is really, I honestly believe this is the job description of the body of Christ. I think we need to see this. In, in 1 John 3 and 8, there's several different versions, I'm sure, in the room, but... Basically, it doesn't matter what version you read, it's going to say something real close to this. For this purpose was the Son of Man. The, the next words there in the King James says, made manifest. It, it literally says, for this purpose was the Son of Man revealed. To destroy the works of the devil. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Do you understand the revelation of Jesus Christ in you is for one purpose? To destroy the works of the devil. We, we've got to get that. Um, I promise you, he's out to destroy you. I preached a series uh, maybe two years ago, a series of messages called Out of Intimacy. With that phrase, out of intimacy, we destroy the works of the devil. Do you understand that it's through intimacy in Jesus Christ? Can I say the deeper he works in you, the deeper he can work around you? That's a Bill Johnson phrase, but that's a strong phrase. The deeper he works in you, the deeper he'll work around you. That's just really, really strong to us. But I really think he's drawing us to a place of deep intimacy. We, we can all quote the phrase, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I really believe it's time the church started living like that. We ought to start living like we actually believe that. That that becomes a reality, and we live with that reality right in our face, okay? I think this. I think if... If we would become believers that actually believe what we believe, yeah. <laughs> boy, can we set the world on fire. <laughs> and I, I'm not saying that critically. I honestly think the people in this room, you're in this room because you, you are believing Here's the deal. Uh, uh, this almost sounds hard. Don't hear it the wrong way, but it's, it's really true for a lot of us. 
Um, you remember the father of the demoniac boy? Do you remember what he said? Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. You know what I mean? Um, I find myself in that, and I, boy, that's really transparent standing here teaching you guys, but the truth of the matter is, is like there's a place in me that so wants so much more. Um, I was preaching Saturday night on Peter getting out of the boat, and Peter's walking across the water, and he begins to sink, and he cries out and says, Lord, save me, right? Lord, save me. And Jesus pulls him up out of the water, and he says, O ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Right? Remember that? The amazing thing to me, and I didn't really even see this for years. I've preached this a bunch of years. Peter never doubted Jesus. Jesus wasn't sinking. Peter doubted himself. Like, I don't know if I can really do this or not. Anybody been there? Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. We got to be believers that actually believe, okay? Jesus is manifested or revealed in you for one purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. We've got to walk that thing out. That's got to become such a reality, okay? So go with me to what I would consider one of my favorite psalms. And let me tell you this, while I'm teaching, I mean, man, I really believe this. I'm strong on this. In this room, there's amazing people with amazing revelation. You have the right to say something, okay? So don't feel like you have to sit there while I lecture you for the next hour or two, okay? If there's something on your heart to just burn a man, raise your hand, we'll talk, because I think we can learn and grow from one another, okay? I will tell you, if I'm on a roll, I'll get to you. You've watched Dan do that, right, okay? You know how that works, okay? Um, Oh, let me share something else, too. One of our class members isn't here because uh, he got married Friday morning at midnight. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mick, my buddy from Michigan, got married uh, on Friday morning at midnight. Uh, some of you, I, I guess I can tell that. We can tell that, right? Okay, so, okay. Yeah, but uh, uh, it's an amazing thing. I won't get into all the details, but uh, him and Barb Kynard, some of you know Barb from the church, uh, kind of met each other a while back, actually, shortly after Mick's wife had died, uh, and uh, he came down to stay with me, and it was just a... It just worked. So anyway, um, there was a big thing going on in Michigan. They wanted to go up together, and they decided they wanted to go as husband and wife. So they went and got a, uh, we'd, we'd counseled with them several times because they were planning on maybe like a spring thing, and we'd sat and talked, and they, they kind of came to me. So we did several counseling sessions in a row, but uh, uh, got their license on Tuesday, and they wanted to get married Thursday. I said, you can't. Your license won't even be good till Friday. So it was 12.01 Friday. <laughs> it's the first, first midnight wedding I ever did in my life. Okay, But, uh, but it was really cool. Can I say this? I'll, I'll just share it because I think we're open. We can talk. But uh, um, it was kind of cool because some of Dick was there. And uh, yeah. Um, and where's Becky? Becky's here somewhere. Yeah, there you are. Okay. Becky was there. Donna was there. Uh, but anyway, we had a, uh, had a pretty amazing time. Just got in the sanctuary and prayed. And I mean, Holy Spirit came in and really, really landed. It was pretty awesome. We had, they all got a chance to pray over them and bless them. And, and, and Jesus just showed up in an amazing way. It was really cool. We did communion together. God just showed up. It was fun. We were like, it was like, yay God. He just really sealed the deal. So anyway, I really feel like Jesus married him. It was a neat day. <laughs> okay. In the process of that, I guess, uh, uh, so anyway, that's why he's not here, just wanted to tell you that, thought, kind of felt like it'd be a neat place to share that. I'll tell you that God's doing unusual things. I love it that God does unusual things. You know what's fun? It's not the same thing over and over. I, I don't want to live in that arena of the same thing over and over. 
Like, I, I, I want to come to church with, with no expectation. You know what I mean? Because I'm going to tell you, I, can I share this? I, the Lord really spoke to my heart really strong that five years from now, what we call Sunday morning church won't look at all like Sunday morning church does now. And I said, yay, God. <laughs> okay, because I really feel that, man. I feel like God's just, man, it's fun. And, and I'll tell you this, too. Um, as that transition happens, uh, there will be a lot of, for lack of a better word, a, a, a lot of criticisms, attacks. Because when God gets out of his box, people get nervous. Can I say this? There's a whole lot of people in the church, quote, unquote, that are very comfortable with God in the box and get very uncomfortable when God gets out of the box. Yeah. And how many know we've said, I've said this for years. I have said this for years. God's, God's out of the box now. And I found out he wasn't out of the box. I just got a bigger box. You all know what I'm talking about? Because we thought he was out of the box. But I don't know that there's a box that can contain God. Who's right? You know what I'm saying? We can't contain God in a box, right? Go with me to Psalms 42. How many are anxious for God to do some unusual things in your life, man? Come on. Yeah. It, it, it just can't be the same stuff, okay? God's up to something. Jonathan, something in your heart. I heard Dan Cook say the only time God ever put himself in a box, he said, if you touch it, you'll die. There you go. <laughs> hey, that's a good word right there. <laughs> yeah, word. <laughs> Somebody was there yesterday. <laughs> okay. Hey, go with me. Let's go to Psalms 42. I love this. Uh, a lot of us know this. Matter of fact, we had, a, we had an incredible, uh, incredible worship song at, that we, we created from Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I love that. A living soul seeks a living God. One of the problems with organized religion is there was no room for a living God. Who went to church in a form of godliness but had no power? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, I don't know. Some of you in the room know my story. Some of you don't. But born and raised Roman Catholic, altar boy for eight years, commentator at the 11 o'clock mass and several priests in the family. And my mom was convinced I was going for the priesthood. I fooled her. <laughs> I, I, got, I got born again and thrown out of the house in the same week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a pretty picture. She hated Lori because Lori dragged me away from the Catholic church. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of animosity there for a long time. I graduated in a class of 1,007 kids in my grade, okay? The girl who was the, we were called the Butler High Golden Tornadoes, the tornado princess that would have been like homecoming queen, a girl named Joanne Fellows. How many know if there's 1,007 kids in your class and, the, uh, and you get elected as the tornado princess, you're probably cute, <laughs> Yeah, well, her mom and my mom were very good friends, and she came home. Lori and I are engaged. We're about three months from getting married, and she says, Joanne Fellows, that was the girl, the, the homecoming queen. Joanne Fellows has a crush on you, and I can set that up. You know? <laughs> so she was just determined I wasn't going to marry this Pentecostal who had dragged me away from the Catholic Church. Y'all follow what I'm saying? But once you've tasted God, your life changes. Once you've tasted God, everything's different. 
Once you've really tasted him and once you've seen this, David says this. He says, like the deer pants for the water brook, my soul longs after you. I've got a, I've, I've got a living soul and I want a living God. I want you to think about that phrase for a minute. Have you ever gone through a dry place where you didn't feel God? Okay, you've got to stand on that fact that you know He's there. Whether you, can I say this? Your feelings are the most unreliable part of your life. You, you need to understand. Your feelings are horribly and absolutely terribly unreliable. But when you go through a, a phase in your life or a place in your life where you're not feeling God, every part of you just starts to ache for His presence. You ever been in a service where it's wild? I mean, everybody's getting wrecked, and you're like a stone. <laughs> Don't you hate that? It's like, okay, I ain't getting it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like an awful, I've been there. I, I've been the pastor in the service when everybody's getting wrecked, and they're slain in the spirit, and, and I'm praying for people, and they're falling out, and I'm like, okay, I'm not feeling this, but hey, it's working. You know? <laughs> it's like, I don't even understand that. But I honestly believe that the Lord was training me not to live by my feelings. Because if you live by your feelings, you're going to be on that spiritual elevator the rest of your life. You can't just live by what you feel. But on the other side, there's something inside of me that aches for the presence, to be able to, to feel the manifested presence. Like, I still know he's there. I'm okay with that. But the fact is, I want it. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Like, I want that. And, and I know it's there. And, and so, so that's what David was saying. He's saying, man, my soul just longs for you, oh God. There's like, like as, the, as the deer pants for the water, I'm hungry for your presence. I'm addicted to that, okay? There's just a place in you that's, that's just longing for that. I want that. He's longing for the presence. It's like the deer that's looking for water. It's not just a want. I need that. I want that, God. I want to know your presence. I want you to think about that because we're going to go deep today. We're going to dig some wells. I'm going to talk about digging wells. Go to John chapter 4. Let me show you something, okay? Keep this thought in mind about David and the deer because it'll come back to it, okay? Just trying to lay foundation. John chapter 4, probably one of the most amazing sections of Scripture in the New Testament and we probably miss a lot of things that go on in John chapter 4. I'm just going to touch a couple of them right now. If you're a student of the Word, I said John chapter 4, and you immediately thought of the woman at the well, right? Okay? Okay. Because that's what John chapter 4 is all about. And, and, and this is where Jesus makes the statement, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth, right? We want to get the Word so much in us that certain places such as this take familiarity. Go to the beginning of the chapter and look at verse 1. I think it's kind of cool. We're going to look at four verses right now. And I'll talk to you about this. We'll do a little geography. Okay? First four verses. I'm going to read this from the King James. It says, When therefore the Lord knew the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples... He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Okay? Let me talk to you. When you read those words, Galilee, Judea, Samaria, does that mean anything to you? Okay, some of you understand the geography of that. 
I think it's real important that you catch that because there's purpose in all that. So I, I made a little map. It's not very big, but and I, I didn't write real large, but I, I hope that you can see. This is the big picture is Israel. And I just, it does, Israel doesn't look exactly like that, so don't go home and say, oh, Israel looks like a kidney bean. Okay, <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I just wrote that, okay? But it's, Israel is the, is the country, it's divided into, I'm going to call them five states. They're really provinces, okay? Like Canada's divided into provinces. Israel's divided into five provinces, and they're separated. This line right here would actually be the Jordan River, okay? So you have the east side of the Jordan River and the west side of the Jordan River. You okay with that? Okay, from the bottom up, okay, Judea, all right, Bethlehem is in Judea, everybody okay with that? Jerusalem's in Judea, all right, so this is Judea, which is to the bottom, or the, or the southern part, this would be the south and the north, if that helps you at all, Samaria's in the middle, and this is Galilee, to the north, Cana of Galilee would have been a coastal city, this would be the, the okay, all right, everybody okay? It's a port city. Everybody all right with that? So you got, you got Cana up here. This is where Jesus is going to be. Can I say he's headquartered out of here? Okay. Nazareth is in Galilee. Okay. Samaria, we'll talk about. Decapolis and Perea are the other two, by the way. Decapolis is to the north and Perea to the south. Okay. Um, but Samaria. Samaria was a land inhabited by this, what we would call the Samaritans, obviously live in Samaria, right? Who knows what a Samaritan was? If you're a Samaritan, what's your, what's your genealogy? Yeah, half Jew, half Gentile. You're a Samaritan, okay? The Samaritans and the Jews were at animosity with each other. As a matter of fact, at one point, Jesus is going to pass through Samaria, and he set his face toward Jerusalem, and they got really upset. Okay, because they wanted him to stay there and he didn't want to. He was on a mission. Okay, but the Samaritans and the Jews were at animosity with each other. Even in his encounter with the woman at the well that we're going to discover in just a few minutes, she's going to talk about our fathers say this, your fathers say that. Why? Because there's division between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other. Okay, there was animosity, there's strong animosity. The Jews looked at the Samaritans as dogs. Okay, it, it catches in the right way. Half breed dogs. Okay, and and they, it's like even in the courts. Whenever they would come into Herod's temple, Herod's court. Okay, you got to you got the court of the Jews. Okay, what it is is you have the court of the women. Then you have the court of the men, because the men were elevated above the women. Then you would have the court of the priests, and then you would have the, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. You follow that? That's just a, there's a progression there. Outside uh, of the court of the women, the Samaritans were allowed. Okay? But they weren't even allowed to come in. And you got to understand, in a caste society like that, the women were low class, but the Samaritan, even if you were a man, you're a Samaritan man, you're lower than a low class woman. Does that make sense? And don't hear that the wrong way. That was just their society in that time. Okay? So the Samaritans and the Jews, I mean, there's, there's a lot of animosity. To the point is, and what I want to show you, if you look at verse 4, it says, he must needs go through Samaria. Now, to understand that, if I was a Jew in Jerusalem, which is about right here, okay, you follow what I'm saying? And I wanted to go up here to Cana, I wouldn't just go to Cana. A good Jew is going to come here, go into Perea, up around the Decapolis and into Galilee and over to Perea. They wouldn't even go through Samaria. That's how much animosity there was. 
okay? They would rather go over the Jordan River, come across and come back over the Jordan River than go through Samaria because they didn't even want to walk on the same ground. Y'all follow what I'm saying? That's strong animosity, but that's just, I mean, that's, that's history. Anybody, if I say Josephus, are you guys familiar with Josephus? Okay? Josephus, first century historian, probably one of the best historians for us to understand history. He does not, he does not follow. Listen, Josephus, as far as I know, never converted to Christianity. He does not have history in a Christian slant. He just has first century history. Everybody okay with that? But in the process, what happens is, this is just very natural. Josephus and several other historians will tell you, this would have been the natural, that would have been the natural course for a lot of Jews. They would have even got, not gone through Samaria. But read what it says in verse 4. He, must, he said, he must needs pass through Samaria. He said, I need to go through Samaria. Why? It's a divine appointment. Okay, you got to understand something. The life of Christ is really easy to define. Jesus said it this way, I only do what I see the Father do. We're going to Samaria. Everybody okay with that? Wouldn't it be amazing for you to be able to say, I only do what I see the Father do? Like, oh, that would solve all these questions. Like, do I go here or do I go there? <laughs> so you wouldn't even have to worry about any of that because I'm only doing what I see the Father do. Wouldn't that be an amazing life to live? You think it's possible? Yeah, then why aren't you doing it? Okay, <laughs> okay. So I, please, I, I understand all too well, okay? Yeah. <clears throat> to me, this is amazing because he says, and I think it's key. Um, I want to talk to you about a couple things. First of all, do you understand that a whole lot of Jesus' ministry took place here, around Jerusalem and in Judea, okay? But that the main basis of his ministry is in Cana of Galilee. Right now, they're in the south. They're heading back to, nor- to the north, okay? It's a time of transition. How many believe the church is in transition? Yeah. But let me ask you a question. Do you see your own life in major transition? Yes. Can I tell you, it really doesn't matter what's going on everywhere else. What we really got to focus on is what's going on here. Okay? I, I want to say this with as, much, with as much love in my heart as I can. But I find in my own life, I can no longer chase the move of God. I've got to become the move of God. Um, nothing wrong with God's doing something here, and I'm going to go visit that, because uh, if there's impartation and things that are going to happen, I really believe in that. I believe that there's a bunch of stuff that God's doing, and I want to avail myself to a move of the Holy Spirit, but I want to become the move of the Holy Spirit. Several years ago, I just got to a point with tears just running down my face on a regular basis saying, God, you've got to do something in my life. You've got to do something because I just, it has to happen. But I found that when you get real sincere and you get into a place where, I mean, it, it's, it's everything about you is just you're pouring it out before the Lord. If I said a libation offering, does everybody know what a libation offering is? You pour, you're poured out before the Lord. And I just, I really felt that. I felt a real transition in my own heart and in my own life. But I found that God began to do some pretty neat stuff in me. And I've, I, can I say this? We'll hear this right but I honestly believe God's not going to work in the people around me until he works in me first. Uh, as a leader, I'm saying that from a leadership place, but I really felt like there was a real transition that was happening. But I, I find this, and this is huge in my heart, I really believe the church is in transition today. I think we're going from, well, I could say from glory to glory. That's, a, that's just a scriptural thought as well. But, but I really believe that God's taken us somewhere. And we're going to tread on some virgin soil that we haven't treaded on. We're going to swim in some waters we've never swam in. And let me tell you something. When you're swimming in waters that you've never swam in before, you have to learn how to navigate those waters. And most of the time we learn that through trial and error. 
I promise you we'll make some mistakes along the way and I'll have to back up. But you know what? I believe this with all my heart. God's all about midstream corrections. Okay? It's okay. How many have been corrected midstream? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Nothing wrong with being corrected midstream. At least you're doing something. Because <laughs> for, for way too long we've just sat still. Uh, can, I, can I get real with you? I honestly believe we've been in a stalemate with heaven. God, you've got to do something. God, you just got to do something. God, you've got to do something. And God's saying, I'm waiting on you, buddy. When you're ready, start moving. Does that make sense? I've watched people that said, man, I just want to start a ministry. But God hasn't told me what to do. Do something. He'll move you in the right place. Do something. I just believe that if we do something, God will steer us. Can, do you know you can't steer a ship that's not moving? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Harbors are safe, but ships were never designed to sit in harbors. That's a good word right there. Word. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah. Ships were never designed to just sit in harbors. They were designed to go out on the lake. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in the process, Jesus is going from Galilee to Judea, or from Judea to Galilee. He's going to go from the south to the north. I I think that's cool. But he says in verse 4, and this, is, this was a key to me I hadn't seen before, but he said, I must needs go through Samaria. Everybody okay with that? All right. So God's got a plan, and how many you know Samaria's in the plan? Yeah. I'm only doing what I see the Father do. Father wants me in Samaria, I'm going to Samaria. All right. Now, watch this, okay? You got to understand something. Samaria's in the plan. The woman that he meets is in the plan. Can I say this? The well is a major part of the plan. He needed to go through Samaria. It wasn't optional. It wasn't like, well, you know, maybe we could go through Samaria. Maybe we could go through Decapolis and Perea. Maybe we could go around, you know. No, he had to go through Samaria, and the well that he takes him to is, is major in this plan. Okay? He knew it was the Father's will. The Father was getting him to the well. Because it was in the Father's will. Here's a real good prayer. Father, I invite your will to invade my life. Father, I invite your will to invade my life. I invite your will into my world. We've got to get to that place where we're... We've prayed this, let your kingdom come and your will be done. But I, I really think we just... It wasn't an option for Jesus to go around. He knew he had to go through Samaria. That's a huge thing because the well in Samaria plays a real important role right now, okay? What was about to happen could only happen at a certain place with a certain person. If I said it was a Kairos moment, does anybody know what the word Kairos means? Kairos, Kairos is, a, is a Greek word. It actually has a Latin derivative to it, but it's C-H-I-R-O-S, Kairos. It's a Kairos moment. Um, It's when... God intervenes. Into the life of men. to perform His will in their life. It's a Kairos moment. When God intervenes in the life of men 
to perform His will in their lives. It's almost like there's a two people come together that shouldn't have come together, but God intervened to bring them together because He had a plan and a purpose, a destiny for their life. It's Kairos moment. God is intervening in the life of men. Jesus is going to meet this woman at the well of Samaria. The well's a major part of this. I'll, th- I'll walk you through this. It's kind of amazing to me, but let me show you a couple of things if I can, okay? Go to verse 5, okay? Then cometh thee to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Okay? He had to come to this place at this time. This ground has history, okay? This ground has history. Jacob's name is changed. What's Jacob's name changed to? Israel. And Israel has 12 sons, okay? Now, this is huge because this is Jacob's well. Everybody all right with that? All right. So Jacob's Israel, he's the father of the 12 tribes. Watch the history. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. It is about the sixth hour, okay? It's kind of cool because in all of his life, catch this, that this is recorded for us. He comes to a well and he sits at the well, okay? There's purpose for all this. It's so, like you can't just read something and think, oh, that's interesting. There's a reason that he tells us and he comes to sit at this well. There's history about the well. So we've got to find out a little bit about the history of the well. Is that okay? We're going to study the history of the well. So keep John 4 marked, but jump over. Let's go back and find the history of the well. Go to Genesis 12, okay? So we're going to go back to the very beginning. Go to Genesis chapter 12. I want to study the well for a minute because we're going to talk about the well. It's amazing, all right? Genesis 12, verses 7, 8, and 9. We're going to catch Revelation, then we're going to take Revelation and make it applicable. It's got to, I've got to have application to it, but let's get the Revelation on the well. 7, 8, 9. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Haon on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. Everybody okay? Now, Abraham is building. A generation later, okay, stay, keep that thought in mind. Abraham has given all the land, right? God is going to bless Abraham with this land. In the process, Abraham did some, several things. He built altars and he dug wells. Those are huge thoughts. Drop down to chapter 26. Uh, We're going to come back to Genesis 16. We're going to jump around quite a bit in Genesis right now. But jump over to 26 because I want to show you a couple of things. It's it's very important that we catch. In Genesis 26, it's verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. Watch what he says. There's a famine in the land, okay? It says, Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great. 
for he had possession of flocks, possession of herds, a great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him for all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. Everybody see that? So Abraham was digging wells. He had his servants digging wells. The Philistines came. They envied Jacob. So what are they doing? Are they envied Isaac because Isaac's being blessed? Okay. They were going to fill those wells back up. What I want to talk to you about is this. Abraham built altars, pitched tents, and dug wells. Spiritual fathers dig wells. We're drinking from the wells that some of our spiritual fathers have set before us. The revelation that God's giving me has come because others before me have dug wells. I, I don't know if everybody understands that or not, but we build on one another's revelation. So, so watch this. You pick up a book by Bill Johnson. I don't know if many of you read Bill Johnson. If you don't, you just should. Okay, <laughs> This guy's incredible, right? So you pick up his book and you start to read. And like Revelation just starts coming off the page. But you can't just live on his revelation. But you build on what God's given him. They've dug wells. So you start drinking from that well. Then do you understand? Then you can dig wells. As a, spiritual fathers dig wells, okay? What I found was that Abraham had dug wells, okay? Isaac came along and is able to take from those wells. Jacob's going to come along and take from those wells. And we're going to find that God's going to do amazing things. But how many know enemies try to stop up wells? Okay. This well in Samaria is a very important heritage. So let's keep looking for just a minute, okay? Because what I'm looking at is, if we look further in chapter 26 with Isaac, we're going to find, you know, that that's there. But let's drop back to Genesis 16 for just a minute. Drop back just a couple of pages to Genesis 16. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Because, And I know we're jumping around a little bit, but I'm trying to lay a foundation. Verse 5, it says, And Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I've given my maid into your bosom. When she saw that she conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do as it pleases to her. This is the whole deal with Hagar. Okay. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by a fountain in the way of Shur. Drop down to verse 14. Wherefore the well was called Beer la Heroi. Okay. And if I didn't say that right, you won't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. Behold is between Kadesh and Bered. Okay. There's a well involved, okay? God dug a well for them in the wilderness, okay? And I could go in and show you that God actually provides this well for the Arab people. I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of animosity, but I'm going to tell you something. How many understand God still loves the Arabs? Yes. Yeah. But they're Muslim. They don't even honor God. He still loves them. He's provided for them. Yeah. They still come from seed that's very important to God. Yeah. And... and can I go here and just tell you that we have to be careful how we judge people? Yeah. We really do. And there's, there's a real caution to that. I won't even get into all that because I don't have time right now. But, but what I'm looking at is all these wells that we're seeing laid out have tremendous history and significance. And we can't just dismiss that and say, well, okay, that's not really important. All right. But if we come back to this well that we started at in John chapter 4. Go back with me now to Genesis 24 because Abraham is going to do something very important. All right? So we're going back to Genesis 24. Abraham wants to get a wife for Isaac. 
So he sends his servant to find her. Drop down to verse 10. The servant took ten camels of the camel of his master and departed. For all, his goods of, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia under the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water. And the daughters of men of the men of the city come out to draw water. Do you understand that it was pressing the evening time? Now, real important history. The women are the one who drew water. Men never carried water. That wasn't the, part of the Jewish history was men don't carry water. Do you remember when it's, it's Passover? It's, it's got, I'm going to call it the Thursday night before, before Good Friday. And Jesus, it's, it's that morning, he, he sends two of his men into the city, and he says, listen, when you find a man carrying a pitcher of water, follow that man. Do you know that in the city there would have been thousands upon thousands upon thousands of extra people? The city would have been jam-packed because of the feast, and now there's full, and there's all kinds of people. And he said, when you see a man carrying a pitcher of water, follow that man until you get to a room and find that room, and we're going to go and have Passover there. The reason that he even says that is because men never carried water. So to see a man carrying a pitcher of water would be like seeing Dennis Rodman in a dress. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah, it's going to stand out in the crowd because men didn't carry water. Women carried water. So now what we find is, did you catch what it said? It was the time when women came to get water. Women came to get water twice a day. They would come early in the morning. Okay, for the morning, for the water, for the morning chores and all the stuff for the day. Then they would come in the evening for the evening meal and be able to wash up and stuff afterward. So there were two times during the day that they would come. Jesus is going to get to the well in Samaria right around lunchtime. And that's when the woman shows up. There's a reason for that. She's not going to come in the morning when all the other women are there because she's a woman of a bad reputation. Right? She's had five husbands. She's living with a guy she ain't even married to now. Y'all see that? So in the process, when she shows up, okay, she figures it's safe. Nobody's there. Then she shows up, and there's a man there, but he's a Jew, and he's a rabbi. He ain't talking to no Samaritan woman. I'm safe. <laughs> okay? Fooled her. Okay? <laughs> okay? It was the time. So Abraham's servant is there. He's, at, he's there, and he's there to get water. Okay? He's, he's actually not there to get water. He's there to get a wife for Isaac. Okay? Now, what's really cool, and I think it's kind of important, is this is that well. Okay? Most of you know the story, but Rebecca comes out. She draws water, and she waters his camels. And the servant finds a wife for Isaac. Where was he at? He's at this well. Let me give you a phrase. The bride was found at the well. The bride was found at the well. You need to understand something. That's going to become a huge part of what we're studying today. But the bride was found at the well. Okay, so just let that sink in. We're going to look at Jacob. Jump over a couple more chapters to chapter 29. Let's look again at Jacob. It's the first 10 verses of 29. And I want you to see this. Then Jacob went on his journey and he came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked and behold a well in the field. And lo, there were flocks of sheep lying by it. And out of that well, they watered the flocks. And a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered. They rolled the stone from the well's mouth and they watered the sheep. And then they put the stone again upon the well's mouth in its place. 
I'm sorry, Genesis 29? Yeah, first 10 verses, I'm sorry. I just read through verse 3. Verse 4 picks it up and says, Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, Yeah, we know him. They said unto him, Is he well? They said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, comes with the sheep. She's a shepherdess. Everybody okay? That's cool. That's, there's, a, there's a real tie-in with Rachel being a shepherdess. I can't even go there, okay? And he said, Lo, is it, it is yet high day. Neither is the time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep and go and feed them. And they said, We can't until all the flocks be gathered together and until they roll the stone from the well's mouth. Then we can water the sheep. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Everybody see that? That's amazing right there. Do you understand that he said, man, look at all these animals around. You need to water them. They said, that's not the way we do it. I found that sometimes in the body of Christ, God wants to water his sheep, and we're telling him that's not the way we do it. We can get really caught up in religious activity. Um, can I talk to you? I'll be real transparent with you. Um, I, when I got born again, I got, I got saved in a group. I don't know if some of you ever heard of the Church of God of Prophecy. Uh, headquartered out of Cleveland, Tennessee. It's a, it's a neat group. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of really amazing good people there. There's some legalism that are involved there, and there's some things that doctrinally I did not agree with, and that's why I'm not there any longer. But uh, tremendous amount of good, tremendous amount of wonderful things. But I found that I beca- I'd become a church doctor. We went to several different churches to heal broken churches, and I won't get into all the history of that. But I can tell you that over and over and over, when you went to introduce something new, you heard this phrase, that's not the way we do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because we get used to doing certain things a certain way. And how many know God likes to do new things? Yeah, yeah. And, and his name is Yahweh, not your way. <laughs> yeah. Word. Okay. <laughs> but, 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 but in the process, and just to catch this, Jacob is going to water these sheep. He's going to take care of this business. He's found, he did it himself. And he ministers to Rachel. But I believe that Jacob released something when he opened that well. There's a word to that that's really strong. He released something. Look at verse 11, I'll show you. I love this. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. That's amazing to me. Right there in front of everybody, he takes her in his arms, embraces her, and kisses her. Do you got a word picture? Do you see? Because this is kind of like amazing to me. He just flapped one on her, man. <laughs> he turns to his face toward heaven and he weeps. It's an amazing picture because it's at this well. What I see it is it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done. It all happened at this well where Jacob comes and he meets his bride. Because brides are found at the well. Do you understand that Isaac's bride was found at the well? Jacob's bride was found at the well. And now Jesus comes to the well. In John chapter 4, Jesus is at the well. Do you know the Samaritan woman there is a picture of the bride? 
I'll show you that in just a minute. Something on your heart, Reach? In that time in the next society, him going and kissing her was effectively proposing marriage. It was engagement, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's pretty cool because he didn't really even know her. But he knows God. And God brought him a bride to the well. Okay? Watch this because it gets pretty strong for me right now. Okay? Abraham's servant found a bride for Isaac at the well. Jacob found a bride at the well. God's up to something. There's a reason Jesus is at the well. Okay? Let me show you this. Joseph. How many know the story of Joseph? Everybody here probably knows the story of Joseph. But you understand that Joseph dreams a dream. And then he shares the interpretation of that dream. And because of that, his brothers envy him and hate him. He comes out to feed them, to bring them food into the desert. And what happened? They threw him somewhere. Where did they throw him? Yeah. They threw him in a well. Okay? You know what I find is amazing about that? Joseph couldn't get to his destiny without going to the well. It's out of the well that takes him to his place of destiny. Come on. He gets sold to a Midianite caravan. He ends up Potiphar's fly, with Potiphar and the whole story. And he ends up in the prison, but that's how he gets to Pharaoh. His destiny began at the well. Jesus is at the well. This is an amazing thing. He says, I must, ha- I, I have to go through Samaria. I've got to get to this well. God's got a plan. And the well is part of the plan. The woman is a Samaritan woman. She's part of the plan. Things are happening at the well. The seed of God was preserved in a well. Come because the seed of God comes through Joseph, right? Let's call it what it is. But that's the seed. That's how they end up in Egypt, and the whole thing goes on through that. God's going to bring them out of Egypt by the hand of Moses, but it all happened because of this well. You embrace the purpose of God at the well. I think there's some things that we just got to go to the well for. David understood the well. He says, oh, that I might drink of the water of the well at Bethlehem. It's a different well. Do you understand that some of David's mighty men risked their life to get to a well? And David poured the water out. It was really symbolic. There's tremendous symbolism in that as well. But in the process, what I want to show you, this is kind of cool. Go to John. Let's stay at John 4, but I want you to think with me. Amazing things happen at the well. Because Jesus isn't just sitting on the well. He is the well. John chapter 7, it's the great day of the feast. Remember what he said? He stands up in the middle of the feast. They've been out to, they've been out to get him. He's, he's actually stayed back. Now he shows up on the last day of the feast. And you know what they're doing? They're doing the libation offering right now, as a matter of fact. I, I don't know if you guys know the history of this. This is amazing. But on the last day, the great day of the feast, the priest would actually lead a procession from the, from the temple. They would come down to the well, the, to the pool of Siloam where they would get a, 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 a they had a, a what do you call that? Like a big goblet. Uh, it's not a bowl, but it's like a, a chalice. A chalice is what it was. And, and they, would, they would dip into the well, into the water, the pool of Siloam, and they would bring it out. And this whole procession would come back up, and they would pour it out at the altar at the temple. But it was a great big procession, and I mean, thousands of Jews would be there, and they're all watching. And as they pour that water out there, it's a, it's a libation offering, what they call a libation offering before the Lord. And... and as they're pouring out the water, that's when Jesus stands up in the middle of the crowd. I can see him climbing up on a wall. Ho! If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. <laughs> he is the well. Okay? He's at the well. Go to John chapter 4. Let me show you because it gets huge. All right? In verses 37 and 38, he says some amazing things. So go back to John 4, 37, 38. Okay? Because 
I'm sorry, 37 and 38 was John chapter 7. I'm sorry. Let's go back to John chapter 4. He's sitting on the well. History is about to change, okay? Somebody approaches them. There's this woman that's coming. Brides are found at wells. It's a Samaritan woman. Do you understand that she's half Jew and half Gentile? Because she represents all of the human race. How many understand? You're either a Jew or a Gentile. So if you're a Samaritan, it's a representative of the human race. And, they, and she comes before Jesus. And this gets kind of cool because here's what it is. She's a representative of the bride of Christ. Look at verse 7. Okay? John 4, verse 7. Let's see he says. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me to drink. Give me to drink. It's kind of serious because you know what? 98% of the church is looking for Jesus to give us something. And he's saying, no, I want you to give me something. Did you catch that? Give me a drink. There's something only you can give him and that he needs. We think of what the woman needs, but Jesus said, you give me to drink. I stop and think about this and I think, man, he's looking for something from the bride. Here, Lord, take this praise. Here, Lord, take this worship. Here, Lord, take this surrendered life. I'm yielding my heart. I'm yielding my life. I'm yielding my service to you, God. I'm laying my life down. Lord, if, you, if, 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 you, if there's something that I can give to you, let me give to you rather than always just looking for you to give to me. I think a lot of us probably when we first got saved, we were into an arena of, Lord, this is uh, my, my prayer time. I don't know how it was for you. My prayer time was pretty much my wish list. <laughs> Do you all know what I'm talking about? It was, God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I need the other thing. And, and I found that, man, it, it wasn't even ever about that. He's looking for something from the bride. God is thirsting for something from you. Give me to drink. That's a, that's a phrase that's burning in my heart right now. He says to the woman of Samaria, how is it that you being a... Or, then said the woman of Samaria to him... How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me of a drink, which am a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, if you knew, if you only knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. Why? He is the well. He is the well. The woman said unto him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. <laughs> From whence then hast thou that living water? Does that phrase, the well is deep, just jump off the page at you? <laughs> I love the phrase, the well is deep. Let me tell you something, the well is deep. And he's got living water for every one of us. But watch what he says, because there's a couple of things that happen right now that become real clear. Okay? He says, she says to him, are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Wow. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not neither come hither to draw. Did you catch the end of that? Not only did I thirst not, but I don't have to come here anymore. Why? Come on. Yeah, lip, lip lash. <laughs> okay. Do you understand that she's there in the middle of the day because she's trying to avoid everybody else from town? 
She's there in the middle of the day because she'd just rather go hide in her room. She's been through a terrible place in her life. She's made a lot of bad choices. Anybody in here ever made a lot of bad choices? Come on. You know what I mean? Thank God. You know what I mean? She's made a lot of bad choices. She's been judged. She's been judged harshly. She doesn't even want to be around people. She's there in the middle of the day. She thinks she's in a safe place. Give me, Lord, so that I never thirst again and I don't have to keep coming here. That's amazing to me. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. She says, Lord, I want a drink. He says, go call your husband. Does that not make sense to you either? Lord, give me a drink. Okay, go get your husband. Does that even make sense? Yes. Why? Well, I've been studying Isaiah 50 for about a year, and the Lord keeps giving it to me, and, and he talks about um, woe to those who light their own fires. And he's talked to me about um, the oil of the virgins keeping their lamps lit. Because, so call your husband. He can't, I mean, straight up, he can't light my fire. Only Jesus can. Do you follow me on that? Uh, no human power. No human power can give me what I need. Right. Jesus. Sure. Okay? So if we're seeking love in all the wrong places and trying to light our fires with worldly things, it's not going to get it. Okay. I, I agree with your statement. What, what I'm looking at is she's asking him for a drink, and he's saying, okay, go get your husband. Right. He can't, light, he can't give her living water. He can't provide what she needs. He's the fifth one on the list. He can't give her what she needs. She's not satisfied. Only Jesus can. Okay. Now? I I understand exactly what you're saying. Okay. I think the answer is in the next thing. Because you said, um, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five. And the man you now have... Is your husband okay? And what you said, oh, it's not your husband. Yeah. Oh, okay. What you have said is quite true, but then he's saying that he is her husband because she's she okay. uh, represents human uh, us, the human race, and we're she's his bride and he's her husband. Okay. And she's our husband and we're his brother. Okay. That's how I get it. <laughs> All right. I'll walk you through it. I'll walk you through it because there's some, there's some real cool revelation. She says, give me the drink. He says, go get your husband. Probably not the response she was looking for. Probably not at all what she would have thought he's going to say. She's thinking, give me the drink. I want a drink in this. If, if there's living water that I can have and it's going to change my life, man, I want it now. Right? Donna made a statement. She's been looking for love in all the wrong places. We met a whole lot of people who have been looking for love in all the wrong places, okay? I have sat and counseled time after time after time with couples, and she's upset with him, but she's looking for him to fill a need that only Jesus can fill in her life. Or he's upset with her because there's a void in his life, and he's expecting her to fill it, and she can't fill it. Only Jesus is going to be able to fill that. There's voids in our life. There's a place inside of every one of us innately that needs God. She looks at him and says, give me the drink. He says, go get your husband. Didn't make sense to me, but I realized, man, he did give her the drink. It was her first drink. She asked Jesus for water, and he went to the place in her life where the pain was. And he said, go get your husband, because he was bringing her a place of healing. 
all the pain, all the rejection, all the humiliation, all the abandonment, all the loneliness that she had affected in her life, it all dealt with in this phrase, go get your husband. Do you understand? So when Donna says that what she was looking for, she was trying to find everywhere else. He simply says, go get your husband. And immediately something inside of her began to break. He was touching her in a place of pain. He was about to bring her living water that was going to change her life forever. I believe in the, in, in, in the communities where we live and in, in, in all the places that surround us and all of our metro and the area of influence that we have, there are tremendous amounts of people that are in tremendous amounts of pain. And I want you to know this. Jesus wants to touch them right at the point of their pain. And the fact of the matter is, when she said, give me to drink, and he said, go get your husband, he was touching her in the place of pain. Do you understand that she went from one husband to another husband to another husband to another husband to another husband, and now she's living with a guy she's not even married to? How many understand what that looked like in the Jewish community? You got to understand. And can I say this? In modern day America, that's like, oh, that's cool. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but not in Jewish history, Jewish community. This was an awful thing, man. It was one rejection after another. It was one pain after another. It was one place of abandonment after another. And she just felt like some kind of a, uh, can I say, of a dirty dish rag that was just tossed to the side. And, and Jesus says, go get your husband. He was actually bringing her to a place of healing. Okay. He says, call your husband. You know what she says next? Look at the next verse. Because that's huge. I don't even have a husband. I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, you've said, well, I have no husband. Because you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with now isn't even your husband. And that you've said truly. Her revelation starts to come now. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. Or he says, Then she says, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said, Honey, it ain't even about that. It isn't even about mountains and places. You worship, you don't even know what you worship. We know what we worship for salvations of the Jews, but the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for some people that will be just like that. But watch what he says, because that, that's an amazing thing, and God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We could spend an hour just talking about those two statements, but I want to come back to the woman. The woman said unto her, I know that, unto him, I know that the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said, I that speak unto you am he. And upon this came his disciples, and they marveled that he even talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, and she went her way into the city. And she said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? It's quite a drink from the well. She says, come see a man that told me everything that I've ever done. It must have been quite a counseling session. (laughs) He touches her in a place of pain. 
All she did was ask him for a drink. What I want you to understand is when we ask Jesus for a drink, he may touch us in ways that we didn't expect. He may take us to places we didn't realize we were going to go to. So what do we do with that? And, and I start to think about this because he says, call your husband. To me, that's an amazing thing. It's quite a drink from the well. He says, hey, call your husband. And he touches her. And when he touches her, everything starts to change in her life. The woman represents the church. I want to break this all down for you. I want to talk to you about it because... If we're going to catch a revelation of this, then we've got to be able to understand through that revelation, how does that apply to my life? Jesus touches her in a place that now she's, she, do you understand that she's become the first evangelist to the Samaritans? There's a revival that breaks out in Sychar, okay? It's amazing because remember that he came for the Jews, Told his disciples, don't even go to the way of the Samaritans. But here he is, (laughs) right in the middle of Samaria. But because of this woman, a whole city is going to be transformed. Do you know the revival in Acts chapter 8 was from the seeds of John chapter 4? The seeds in John chapter 4 produce a tremendous revival in Acts chapter 8. Philip goes into Samaria. Okay, James and John come. These people are getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. And it says, and there's great joy in the city. It all comes from the seeds of John chapter 4. Okay, because remember, the kingdom's always in seed form. We'll talk a lot about that, but the kingdom's always in seed form. Okay, yeah. So when we look at this, what we're seeing is that Jesus is doing amazing things right here. And the whole city is about to be transformed. He's going to stay for a couple of days. There's going to be a revival in the city. And, And here's what else I find. A woman with this horrible reputation who feels like she has to come to the well at noon so that people don't even see her goes into the city and the people of the city are moved so much that they come out to see what's this crazy woman talking about. This is amazing to me. God's up to something. Go ahead, Reach. When, when Jesus spoke to the woman in that way, he did not judge her for being gone. That was the difference between how we often look at people. She was not judging her. He just said, go get your husband. And he didn't say, well, you had five in the book. Right. He said, you know. Oh, absolutely. He didn't discount her because of her past. The first message I preached at Harvest Chapel was founded on this, on this as a matter of fact, uh, probably why I'm teaching it this morning, but the first message I ever preached in Harvest Chapel and our byline was for, on all of our papers and everything, a church not concerned about your past, only about your future. Because how many know Jesus wasn't worried about what she used to be? Aren't you glad he's not worried about what you used to be? He's not intimidated by your drug addiction in the past. He's not intimidated by your history or who you were or who you ran with or what you did. The fact of the matter is, he says, you've got an amazing future. Let's not worry about your past. Old things passed away. All things become new. Okay? I want to break down the revelation of what was going on here in just a few minutes. It is 1030, and we kind of planned it around 1030. We would take like a 15-minute break, use the bathroom, use the restrooms, come back, because we're going to break this thing down and kind of really take a strong look at it. Okay? Take about 10 10 minutes, because it takes you an extra five if I give you 10. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we'll be, we'll regroup and start teaching again in a quarter till. All right. Becky actually said something that triggers a thought in my heart and we're to, to just look at. We understand from Galatians 6 that <laughs> sowing and reaping is a biblical principle. 
Biblical principles go across the borders. They go across, they're eternal. Anything that's biblical, a biblical principle is eternal. It always has been and always will be, okay? Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. So she said, I just figure if I pray for people to be healed, what's about to happen? I'm sowing healing, I'm going to reap health. Everybody okay with that? There's a good principle to that. We need to apply that to our hearts. Can I share this with you? Um, um, I love sharing this. I know it challenges people. It's very challenging, and I, and I understand that. And, and man, don't, don't ever look at it the wrong way. Just understand that sometimes we grab a hold of a revelation, and we can walk in it, okay? Um, I've got some friends that have a revelation on prosperity, and everything they touch turns to like gold. You know what I mean? And I keep saying, right here, put your hand right here, right here. <laughs> Just put your hand. I'm ready for impartation on that, because I, I don't have that yet. You know what I mean? I, we do okay, but it's not at all like some of them. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. I want that, you know? And I just have I've never been able to grab that completely. But something that happened to me a little over, what's 11 years ago now, um, I began to understand something. And I'll share this with you, and you just kind of put it on the shelf or however, but I'll just tell you it's worked for me. Okay, can I say that? Um, I believe in divine healing. I'm a strong proponent of divine healing. Obviously, the pastor of a church that moves in that very, very strong. And I believe very strongly that God wants to heal people. But I believe that divine healing is a sign to the unbeliever of the power of God on planet Earth, that the kingdom of God has returned. And I believe that. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, heal the sick and then preach the, go- the, the gospel of the kingdom. You know what I mean? Go out and preach the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. You know, heal the sick, let them see that, and then preach the gospel. It's a show and tell gospel. Everybody okay? And, and there's just the reality of that. Uh, I, and I believe that very, very strong. But I believe that, I, and I, I'll say this, I believe that divine healing is a sign to the unbeliever of the power of God. But divine health is really the inheritance of the saints. That we have the right and the privilege to walk in divine health. The reason I say that is, is because sickness and disease came as a result of the curse. But Jesus became a curse for us to relift the curse from us. So if he lifted the curse from us, then sickness and disease shouldn't have any part in my body. And I really believe that. And for the last 11 years, I've walked sickness free. I believe that we can do that. I honestly believe that you don't even have to be sick to die. I believe when I read in the scripture that it says, and Joseph slept with his fathers, I think he just went to sleep and slept with his fathers. You know what I mean? And I'm okay with that. I really do believe that. I think we can walk in that. I was talking with my mother-in-law yesterday. As a matter of fact, I believe that right now my wife is probably probably driving out to Butler. Mom's been real sick, and she started that whole story. My mother-in-law is an incredible woman of faith. She's an amazing lady, uh, has, has been a very, very strong influence in my life. But now that she's, she's 87 or 88 years old and things are starting to fall apart, she says, well, that's just the way the Lord designed us. And I'm like, because, <laughs> you know, you hate to rebuke your mother-in-law, but sometimes it's fun. Uh, but, okay, but, 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 but anyway, in the process of that, just trying to just speak truth over her and stuff. But I mean, you know, you don't have to be sick. I mean, so I really believe that. So uh, we, we just stand on that. And that's something just to really chew on and think about. Uh, we, we might even spend some, some time going deeper in that. But right now we're in the middle of where we're at. Um, let's go back to the woman at the well, Okay. Because there's a couple of things that we got to touch on now. Catch the revelation and then find out how can we make this applicable to our lives, okay? The first thing I want you to understand very strongly was, and part of what the Lord was speaking to me about in the middle of all this, was that brides are found at wells, okay? Abraham's servant finds a bride for Isaac. Jacob finds Rachel. And now Jesus is there with the Samaritan woman. But Jesus is the well and the woman is the bride, Okay, representing the church. Now, do you understand brides are designed for intimacy? 
Please hear what I just said. Brides are designed for intimacy. Catch this. I have a lot of people in my life, many of them are female, that I feel very close to, that I'm friends with, okay? Several of you in this room I feel very close to. We've been close. We've, we've had relationships as far as to, to be like that. But I only have one bride that I can be intimate with. Brides are designed for intimacy, okay? That's huge. I, I think that's an important thing that we understand. He calls us the bride of Christ, Brides are designed for intimacy. Remember that I started this class out with the phrase, out of intimacy we destroy the works of the devil. I believe that with all my heart. That the closer I walk to God, the more we crush the serpent's head. Do you understand that you were designed to crush serpent's heads in your life as well? Now, let's go back to the woman. She comes to the Lord. She's sitting with the Lord. She <laughs> And... and she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And then her perception changed. Do you understand that? She said, when Messiah comes, whoo, man, everything's going to change. And he said, I'm here. I'm here. Okay? Everybody see that? Now, check this out. Let's go a little farther with that, okay? Take it a little deeper. Because what, it, what, it said, what he says is, I that speak him, he. And upon this came his disciples, and he marveled, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Why? Because he shouldn't have been. It broke protocol. Jewish men didn't talk with Samaritan woman, let alone Christ. But I mean, no, he broke a lot of rules. I mean, Jesus was a rebel. You can call it anything you want. But he broke a lot of rules. Because the rules were never God's rules. How many know the church has made a lot of rules that God had nothing to do with? Come on, who was in a legalistic organization at all besides me? I mean, honestly, man, we made up rules. For, <laughs> it's, it's amazing some of the things that we've done. God had nothing to do with. But we didn't understand it. And can I say this? Can I, can I tell you, even with the group that I was in, we were pretty legalistic. We, we weren't allowed to wear jewelry. We didn't even wear wedding rings. When Lori and I got married, we exchanged Bibles. Now, picture this. Uh, some of you know Pastor Lori, right? We exchanged Bibles. We didn't wear any jewelry, okay? Because from First Peter chapter 2, let it not be the wearing of gold, the plating of the hair, the putting on the apparel, but let it be the hidden man of a meek and gentle spirit. Now, watch this. This is how we can get so caught up in this. We can't wear gold. Well, if you take that scripture that says, let it not be the wearing of gold, then it says the plating of the hair, which we don't even real sure what that's all about. It has to do with beads and whatever, okay? And then it says putting on of apparel. So if we weren't going to wear gold... <laughs> On, man, I, I mean, stop. If that's an absolute negative, let's go absolutely negative through the whole thing, man. We're back to fig leaves or something, <laughs> you know. Come on, naked and not ashamed. I don't know, but anyway, okay. But but it's just crazy. But you know how you, you can get out there, right? All right. Picture that because Pastor Lori and I didn't get married with rings, just Bibles. So she was jewelry free. She certainly made up for lost time. Uh, but <laughs> but reverse that off the tape. Okay. But but anyway, in in, the, in that same idea, watch this. If you if you see Pastor Lori now, because uh, she has always looked much younger than she is. So when we got married, um, she looked very young, and it was right after we got married. We got married in August and. Um, Nicole was born the following December, like a year and a half later, but she was 18 when we got married. She looked about 15. 
You know, so now she looks maybe 16, and Lori's only four foot ten, but she was all belly with Nicole. Nicole was eight and a half pounds when she was born. If you know Lori, she's just a little girl, and, and uh, it was amazing. And, and, and she's walking around, and she's pregnant without a wedding ring on. Church of God of Prophecy has the strongest doctrine on divorce and remarriage of any, any organization in the planet, and, and yet we told people you couldn't wear this. You see how we can get kind of twisted? Then she's faced with the humiliation of people feeling just like the woman at the well. Do you understand? Because there's people, she's standing in the grocery line, and, and there's two older ladies behind her, and, and they said, they said, oh, when are you due? And she turned around to talk to them, and the one lady looked at her, she said, she's not even married, look, because she didn't have a wedding ring on. Well, then, you know, Lori feels like, oh, wait a minute, you know, and she didn't want to take that as a shame thing or anything, but, you know, you can carry so much stuff, and it just really stretches you. In the process of all that, I'm picturing this woman at the well who is faced with shame, humiliation, abandonment, all these other issues, come on, because she's been through divorce after divorce after divorce, you know what I mean? And in the Jewish custom, I don't know if you understand how that was, but the man would have to look at her in the eye and say, I divorce you, I divorce you I divorce you you know what I mean and that was that's how they proclaimed divorce it was a, it was a statement made three times and anyway it's it, with, with there's a whole lot of other stuff that went with that but you understand that each time there's more guilt there's more shame there's more rejection there's more abandonment nobody wants me feelings of self-worth begin just completely to by the time she's at this well she's feeling totally worthless that's why she's there at noon do you catch that and Jesus is going to have a conversation with her. It totally blows her mind. Do you understand that everything the world's cast off, Jesus is looking for? Amen. There's a scripture that says, though your mother and your father forsake you, I'll never forsake you. Somewhere in the middle of where we're at right now, and we're going to take this, we're talking about revelation and then taking it to application. We've got to understand something, man. We don't get to select who Jesus wants to save. This is not a selective program. Guess what? We don't get to select who's going to come through the doors of our church. And I'm going to tell you something. James speaks real strong that if you treat one man one way and another man another, shame on you. Come on, the rich man comes in with his goodly apparel, sit up here in the front. Poor man comes in, you sit in the back. He said, God help us. It's never meant to be that way. I'm so glad. He'll take the outcasts. I've asked the Lord, man. I've, I, I've, can I, can I, let me get real transparent with you, okay? Uh, who went to Lakeland? Anybody go to Lakeland when the outpouring was happening down there? Several of us went down. Matter of fact, that's the first place I met Kathy. She just had to slip out. She had an appointment, but uh, was the first place that I met her, actually, strictly by trying to get some really good seats that she was guarding. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, in the process, uh, we, um, we went down there, and the first night we were there, uh, we were in the state, or in the, uh, in the arena, but the second night we went to the stadium. It was when they moved it to Tiger Stadium. And they had a thing, and, and you could get down for prayer. And there was a guy on the ball field that was praying for people. And he literally had green spikes in his hair. And he was laying hands on people and anointing them and praying for them. And the Lord showed me that. It was like the Lord just singled him out. And I started laughing because I knew that five years ago, that man would have never touched me. Because <laughs> I would have been convinced there's no way you can carry anointing with green spikes on your head. 
But God was changing my perspective and changing the way that I see things. And I began to realize, man, it's not up to me. Is that amazing? So here's a woman that Jesus sees tremendous value in and the world casts her out. Can we learn from that? Can we learn from that? Um, catch this the right way. Please hear this the right way. In my evening class, I have a young man that comes. I do a mentoring class on Wednesdays. I do one in the morning and one in the evening. And right now we're just doing the evening ones. But uh, uh, his name is Shane. Some of you know Shane Boone. And Shane is amazing. I sit and talk with him, and some of the revelation that he's getting is just awesome. And I sit with Shane, but you've got to realize, this man's covered in tattoos. He's got a goatee here and a shaved head there and, and piercings in places I'm not even sure. <laughs> and a few years ago, I, I don't even know if I'd have wanted him in my church, let alone in my class for leadership. Do you follow what I'm saying? How many know God's doing some new stuff? That we don't often understand. And we have to be careful how we view people. Because my prayer has been, God, let me see them through your eyes. Let me see. Can I go there? There's some things that we need to see differently than maybe we have in the past. Jesus is viewing this woman. But guess what? Remember that I said brides are found at wells? Do you understand that the bride is made up of all kind of people? And what you might be rejecting, he's calling his bride. That's a pretty scary thought. What you just judged, he loves. And we need to be careful with that. Brides are found at wells. The woman comes to the well. Jesus is talking to her. And the disciples are shocked. You're talking to her? Because he broke the rules. He's breaking the rules doing that. But nobody said, "What what are you looking for? Or why are you talking with her? They didn't want to question him. They just did it in their own heart. Okay, now watch the next thing. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. Why do you think it even says she left her water pot? It wasn't important anymore. She wasn't thirsty. Okay. <laughs> okay. She, uh, she didn't mind coming back later and get Okay. <laughs> there you go. She was just excited. She didn't think about it. It was more important to go back and tell. I am at the side. I love all the thoughts. Here's the thing. Anything that's in the book is there for a reason. Because it would seem to me, if I read that, that's an insignificant detail. She left her water pot. Other than maybe, like you said, it shows enthusiasm. It shows excitement. Like, oh my gosh, this isn't important anymore. I'm not thirsty. I just had the drink of my life. Right? Well, there's a, there's a ton of different ways to look at that. Let's look at some symbolism for a minute, if we can. Okay? What did they use the water pot for? Nancy shared something with me in the middle of the break. I'm going to share it with you. I think it's kind of cool. What's the water? What's the purpose of the water pot? What are they going to do? They're taking the water back for what? What did they use water in their houses for? If I came into your house in that day, what's the first thing they're going to have somebody do? Okay, they're going to wash feet, right? So there's going to be some washing that's going on. Do you understand that a lot of that was ceremonial? Okay, that was a ceremonial washing. All right, we're going to use some of that water for cooking. As a matter of fact, we're going to take water pots. We're actually going to fill large jars by our door. You guys know that, right? Because when Jesus even comes and turns the water into the wine, remember the, 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 the big pots, okay? That was, everybody had those. That was normal, okay? All right, but we're going to fill those water pots and different things. There's going to be water there for household chores and stuff. They're going to have that water there for cooking. They're going to have that water there for cleaning. They're also going to have that water for ceremonial cleansing, okay? Catch this. That water pot symbolizes religion for ceremonial cleansing. I don't need that now because I've entered into a relationship 
And that which was ceremonial doesn't carry the power that that which relationship carries. So I leave the water pot behind because I'm now walking in something that I hadn't seen before. That's a huge thing that we would get to the place where we understand. Can I say this? Even the very best of us sometimes are still carrying a few water pots around. How many know a lot harder to unlearn some stuff than it is to learn some stuff? I'm still, I'm still in the unlearning process, trust me, <laughs> okay? Yeah, and there's things, because sometimes I'm in the middle of doing something, and I'll even ask, like it's like the Holy Spirit just comes and he'll ask me, why are you doing that? Why, why, why are you doing that? <laughs> I, I'm really struggling, I'll be real honest with you, I'm really struggling on, on, on why do we do church the way we do church? I'm struggling with that. I'm trying to understand that. Because that's the way we do it, right? That's the only answer you can come up with. But, you know, we start out with a couple of songs. We do it all. You know what I'm saying? We do the same things. Uh, you know, the offerings in the middle. Who made the format? Because it's not in the book. <laughs> okay? And, and I'm, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit wants a little more liberty than we give. And, and can I say this? Even in our church here in Harvest Chapel, we feel pretty free. Like, Holy Spirit just has free reign, and, and you guys know where my heart's at. Like, I, if I don't preach today, I care less. Man, let's just have God show up, and it's fun. But in the process of that, and I love doing it, and, and I love preaching, and I love doing what we do, and I think we do it pretty well. We have a great time. But the truth of the matter is, even as free as we might be here, I'm sure the Holy Spirit wants more liberty and freedom than we give Him. Because we're structured. And, and I can promise you this, if we broke out of that structure, there'd be a whole lot of nervous people, <laughs> which is fun. It's amazing here because we started, we, we actually moved service from 10.30 to 9.30, and we just do one service now instead of two because we were two in the other building, now we're one in the new building. So we moved service an hour earlier thinking we were going to get out an hour earlier. That hasn't worked out so well. Okay. <laughs> Haven't done real well with that. <laughs> okay. Reeds, go ahead, man. I, I would say that's good that it has ended earlier. Yeah, it just started earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we have people to... Confidence Harvest Chapel is not structured like any other church. Okay. Varies every week. Um, it's kind of cool. People call the office and they'll ask him. Uh, we, we were kind of... We were, we were wanting to visit your church what time does church start and she'll say well we start at 9 30 they'll say what time's it over she said god knows <laughs> it's kind of fun but anyway in the process of that and that, what i guess i'm seeing is the woman left behind this water pot it was the whole purpose she came to the well but how many know that sometimes right in the middle of your plan god will interrupt your day Let's give him permission to interrupt our day. Let's give him permission to interrupt our afternoon, whatever it is, man. I, I can tell you something. He's looking for willing hearts. Lord, I give you permission to interrupt my day. Whew. Has to have that liberty. Lori, <laughs> Lori, Lori's on her way to her mom's right now. I guess, and I'm not even sure that she went because of the weather and everything else. I wasn't real sure, but I think she is. I know this. If I called her right now on the phone and said, honey, I need you here, you know what she'd do? She'd turn around. She would turn around and come right back. Why? Because she gives me permission to interrupt her day. You know why? She's my bride. Do you understand that God's looking for a bride that's willing to let him interrupt her day? 
That's a huge word to me, man. That's really, really strong. The whole purpose she came, she left behind because something else transitioned, something else happened. And that, to me, that's huge, okay? She left her water pot and she went her way into the city. Now watch this. She says to the men, come. Did you catch that? She said to the men. Why? It's not because she was a woman of that kind of reputation. The fact of the matter was the men were the important people in the city. She didn't say to the other women. She said to the men because she said, you know what? I need to get to the center of influence. There is something amazing that's going on right now. We have a visitation. I guess what I want to ask you is this. If you really felt like God was doing some amazing things in your life, wouldn't you want to share it with the people around you? But sometimes we get intimidated by, well, what are they going to think? Have you, ever, have you ever felt like you should be sharing your testimony with some people, but you didn't because you weren't real sure how they might respond? Yeah. yeah. Then you understand that we're operating in the fear of men rather than the fear of God. She didn't fear these men anymore. Remember that she came to the, she came to the well in the middle of the afternoon because she didn't want to be around people. And as soon as she met Christ, she ran back to find people. Does that not wreck you? Because that messes with me. Like that goes, oh, <laughs> that's amazing to me. Because once you've met him, everything in you is going to change. Can I tell you this? And I, I can be real honest with you. I had a radical, I had a radical salvation experience. And I did. I mean, the, the night I got saved, I was totally wrecked. And, and my whole life changed. As a matter of fact, I, I even told my mother, and I had a van. I had a really neat van. It was 1978. I had a 77 Dodge B-150. Uh, uh, it was amazing. It was a party wagon. Uh, everybody had them back then. I don't know. Some of you might remember. But, but uh uh, it was beautiful, and it was russet sunfire metallic, and I cut out the diamond windows, you know what I mean? And I had foam on the floor and red shag carpet, an octagon wall, and the coach lights, and a coach light on the ceiling, and, and, the, and, the, and the table that folded down into a bed in the back, and there was a refrigerator, and it was usually stocked. And that's what it was for, you know? Some of you remember those days, you know what I mean? And the Krager ETs on it with the G60s on the back, G70s on the front. It was messed up, man. I loved it, man. It was cool. And... and and, we, and I loved that. Got saved that night. And on the, at, at the end of the service, my mother-in-law put her arm around me. She wasn't my mother-in-law then. It was just that Lori and I were dating. And uh, she put her arm around me. She said, I'm so happy for you. She said, you feeling pretty good? I said, oh, I just want to, on the ride home, I'm just... I just want a Mack truck to run me over so I can go to heaven now. Because <laughs> I was so radically transformed. And I knew for the first time in my life I was on my way to heaven. That was, And again, remember that we got saved with the idea of you got saved, got your name in a book, and you were going to heaven. I was ready to go now, right? Fire insurance. Escape hell. Go to heaven. You know what I mean? I, I thought this would be a good day to go to heaven right now because I know I'm right. I got radically saved. I got radically transformed. In the midst of that, when my life got radically transformed, everything around me changed. Everything I looked at, I saw differently. I began to share with some of my friends the transformation that took place in my life. But they weren't ready to receive what I was ready to receive. So then I found myself backing out and not telling everybody. But I wanted to tell everybody. I wanted to scream it from the rooftops. But you know what happened is the enemy came along and said, they're going to think you're nuts. They're going to think you're a fanatic. And I got called all those things by all the friends that we got drunk with every Friday. You know what I mean? Every weekend we'd have 
keg parties and we'd have all kind of grain parties and some of you know what I'm talking about but we did that and all of a sudden the fear of all that what they might think and what they might say kept me silent four months later one of my very close friends a guy named Terry Kleinhammer is driving home from a kegger and as he's driving home he had a beautiful Camaro and he came around the bend and he didn't make the bend and he went off and it had a guardrail but he split the guardrail and went sailing and actually landed in the middle of the top of a tree because it was off of a cliff died instantly decapitated and I had never told him about my experience because I had told Rob Balsinger and Rob Gray and Tom Sellers and different ones and none of them wanted to receive what I had so I never told Terry Kleinhammer the hardest thing in the world was to go to his funeral knowing that I didn't tell him about Jesus. And he, pro- he died drunk, you know, out of his mind. That's why he wrecked the car. He's probably doing well over 100 because he did it all the time. And that grabbed a hold of me. And I thought, I can't let what they think determine what I'm going to tell them. I still need to tell them. And, and if you've studied it all, because I've just been... In Ezekiel, the blood would be required of the watchman's hands, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't sound the alarm. And then all the guilt and shame, because I mean, you know, Satan wants to put that right on you. New Christian, new convert, now it's your fault. He died, he's in hell, and it's your fault, because you should have told him. And I'm like, do you understand the struggle and how messed up your head can get? In the process of that, what I, and I had to, I had to I tell you the truth is, it took me a long time to process through that. This woman at the well represents the church, and she has come to sound the alarm. There's a visitation that everybody needs to know about. We're living in the most exciting time on planet Earth right now. What I would tell you is we need to sound the alarm and tell people there is a visitation from heaven, and you get to be a part of it. You know what's really cool? Yeah, I can go here. There's a grace to go here. For years and years and years, we've invited people to church. But now there's a time that we can invite them to the Christ. Amen. Yes. And, and, and there's a gospel of power that's really coming and it's very, very real. And people need to jump onto that and just realize, man, there's an opportunity right now. What you know and understand, I will tell you something, people are hungry for. They just, the reason that they don't know it is because they've been to church. Come on. Come on. I told you I grew up Roman Catholic, right? They were having a board meeting at the church, and I wanted to come. And they said, you can't come. I said, why? I'm as bored as anybody. <laughs> I figured if they're having a meeting of the board, I belong here. <laughs> Do you understand that for a lot of people, church was just a ritual? For a lot of people, church is just a thing that you do. It's the Sunday morning thing. You're carrying something inside of you. Just like this woman. She ran to the city and said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. This is an amazing opportunity. Do you understand that right now we have a message that's burning inside of us that we need to be able to share likewise and say, listen, man. Do you ever think if you invite your friends to a church like ours that they'd be like a nervous wreck? Come on. 
What's that? I had a friend that I brought. Yeah. He had to sit outside yeah. under the awning because he couldn't stand in the sanctuary. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Reed, go ahead. Uh, you were talking about sharing with people, even if they don't seem to accept it, you still planted a seed, yes. even though they right. do not know it. Yes. And part two of that, I'm Roman Catholic, as you know, a lot of my family says don't talk about religion to me. Yeah. So I'm trying to be subtle, not talk about religion, just talk about Jesus, but they shut down my <laughs> Tell them, no, I'm talking about relationships. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's when you walk into the family, when the big family meetings all together, everybody's at the family reunion, and you walk in and say, I know I'm not allowed to talk about religion, but I do need to tell you something. I'm in love with a man. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get your attention then. They'll listen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me take us somewhere because it's kind of cool. Watch what happens. She leaves the water pot. Come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Remember, he touched her where? At the point of her pain. You are surrounded by thousands of, of hurting people. Can I say this? If If she represents the church, guess what? The church is full of hurting people. I want you to know all the hurting people aren't out in the world. The church is full of hurting people. Okay? I'm going to tell you something, man. I honestly believe before we really radically affect the world, we've got to get ourselves fixed up in some ways. Uh, one of the things the Lord, the Lord's really thumped my heart about it. We've had several leadership meetings here at the church, and, and I'm just trying to pour into them because I really believe we're going to see an explosion like crazy. And in the process of that explosion, what's going to happen is we're going to have so many people coming in that are full of baggage. And if we're full of our own baggage, how are you going to help them carry theirs? Make sense? Yeah, so so I really believe God's doing some amazing things in the process of that, and there's some healing that's taking place. But watch what happens. She says, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city, and they came to him. Somewhere this woman had influence. I'll bet when she went in, she thought, nobody's going to hear me. Why? She came from rejection. She came from abandonment. She came from all kind of places of pain. She felt unworthy, and probably nobody's going to hear a word she says. But they came anyway. Why? Because he wanted them. And it was never about her. She was just the messenger. Can I tell you this? I promise you, there'll be places where you will be put into to speak into people's lives that you'll feel like they're not going to hear me. I'm not worthy. I, I, I don't count. It's never about you anyway. You're just the messenger. By all due points, they shouldn't have heard her, but they all came out anyway. Does it make sense? You all follow what I'm saying? You're going to feel feelings where you're not worthy, where, where you don't count, where how in the world are they ever going to hear me? But you just show up and let him speak and watch what happens. It's pretty amazing. Okay? Go ahead, Pat. So I have quite a background of being Catholic, too. And um, I know we're, we were going through the charismatic uh, part of the movement. Mm-hmm. And I would also go to other churches. And how it made me feel at the time, and we need to be careful when I say uh, Christ being charismatic, when they try to tell you, well, Christ isn't charismatic. 
you know, and then they start, you know, how do you want to say that? Chopping you up before you have a chance to get there. Sure. So I found that with other religions so much. And not so much in the past few years, but, you know, I think even uh, Dan has helped get to a lot of that with me. Yeah. In that persecution. Some of that, too, I think, and, and again, we come back to so many labels, Pat, and I, I really... The label thing has really hurt us in the body of Christ. We've 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 really divided, and that I really believe that's straight from hell. Divide and conquer. You know what I mean? Uh, really do. What's really cool is God's doing some pretty amazing things now. It's kind of fun to watch. Yeah, and I, I agree with that though. Um, there there are some good things. Yeah, Sharon, go ahead, real. Quick. Um, don't you think when the woman realized that Jesus was the Messiah, that she forgot all about that John, and she had to go tell? She found. How many know when it gets inside of you, it just it's got to come out. Absolutely. And you forget that show. Yeah. It didn't matter. If they don't accept me, I don't care. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Right. Think I'm crazy or not? Go ahead. Guess what? I can't stop smiling. (laughs) She's just happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good, Jean. Well, I find sometimes, you know, I'm the kind of person that people kind of ignore. Okay. <laughs> if they don't hear me when I talk, whenever the Lord wants me to say something, he anoints my words, and it's amazing how people will just hear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so it's going to depend on that. Right. Because now he's flowing through you, and you're just the messenger. I really believe that's what happened with the woman. She might have felt unworthy. She might have felt no count. She might have felt completely disconnected. But it didn't matter because once she connected to him, he's going to flow through her. And we become just nothing but the vessel. Okay? That's a huge thing, by the way. I think that's really, really large. The fact of the matter is, can I t- I'll tell you this. I, I could take you back to the time, the place, and the spot right in the church where I felt like God called me into pastoral ministry. And I knew that. And I didn't get up from the altar wondering what God did. I knew. He called me, and He gave me a shepherd's heart. And I really believe that with, with everything in me. I could show you the spot in the church right where it happened. Tears, God moving as a Sunday night service. I knew that God had changed me, so I began to apply myself for some of that. Uh, took some testings and some, uh, some what I want to call home correspondence courses that were Church of God of Prophecy related, and preparing myself for ministry. Just trying to do all the right stuff, um, got invited to preach at a, a watch night service. Who knows what a watch night service is? New Year's Eve coming into the end of the new year. We used to do a watch night service and uh, went to this little church. It was called Adam Station. Later on, I would go back there and pastor that church. It wasn't a real big church, but it was full that night. It was a special service. There was people from all over. There was a, a bishop there named Cliff Winchester, very intimidating man. He was part of that. He was going to speak. There were a few other people. He was like the keynote speaker. There was quite a few pastors that were there, and they put me on to preach, and they put me on early because, you know, we get this guy out of the way or whatever, but they gave me the opportunity to preach, and I never preached before, and I was very excited about the opportunity, and I'm going to preach on faith, right? So I'm, I'm ready. I feel totally unworthy. I feel like I'm petrified. And now there's all these people here that I didn't expect. I just thought it was going to be a little group of folks that were getting together for a special thing and I could share my heart a little bit. I'm, I'm a nervous wreck. But I'm preaching and... and we were old Pentecostals, so you, 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 if you're going to preach, you have to preach loud. And if you're going to preach good, you have to stomp at least twice. Okay? <laughs> okay? And in the old Pentecostal church, I don't know if you know this, but God has three syllables. God. Okay? <laughs> but, but anyway, okay? In the process, I'm very excited. And I'm, preach, I'm preaching on faith. And I've, I've, I've done a couple of scriptures, and faith started in Hebrews 12. I can remember this like it was last week. You know what I mean? And in the process of preaching this, I, I'm, I got excited, and I'm talking about, you know, it comes from... from 
from studying the book, and I'm, I shook my Bible. When I shook my Bible, all my Bible markers fell out. My next scripture was in James chapter 2, which is all about faith, right? But I'm so nervous now because my Bible markers fell out. I can't find James. I'm in the whole Old Testament flipping pages <laughs> trying to find James. And Kenny McKee, who's the pastor of the church, who's invited me to come and preach there, he says, do you want me to read that for you, Brother Don? I said, absolutely. <laughs> but feel totally unworthy at that night after that service was over I promised God I'll never preach again right because you go through all that messed up stuff in your head okay but the fact of the matter is we realize something the woman was just the messenger she was not the message she just carried the message he was the message and she was pointing them so it's just like Jean says all of a sudden those who gave her no count or no attention are now drawn to her words because there's anointing on that do you hear what I'm saying? Because this, we're talking about application now. Do you understand that the things that God's pouring into you and pouring into your spirit, He just wants to flow through you. You become the vessel. He becomes the message. Don't ever miss that. That's huge. Okay. Like John the Baptist, the way he looked and everything, and he comes out and everybody starts flocking to him, right? Because he was anointed. It was the anointing. It sure wasn't the appearance. He was a strange-looking character. By the way, Todd will be here tomorrow. No, never mind. Okay, okay, okay. I'm just kidding. Don't go there, okay? But, uh, but, and again, I tease with him all the time about that. He wants me to grow dreads. I won't just grow hair. Okay? But, but in the process, watch this because I think it's important. See the woman and understand that one, one confrontation with Christ really changed everything, didn't it? I believe her whole self-image changed. I believe her sense of self-worth all of a sudden just inflated like crazy. Why? Because now she was carrying a message that she knew people needed to hear. Do you understand that you're carrying a message that people need to hear? She represented the church. Please hear that. Please hear that. Brides are found at wells. She spent some time at the well. Jesus was the well. And then she could carry the message, spend time at the well, and carry the message. That's so huge to me. That just speaks volumes to my heart, okay? Watch what happens, because it's kind of cool, okay? They went out of the city and came to him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. He said, man, I got meat to eat that you don't know about. I got meat to eat that you know not of. Disciples said one to another, did somebody bring him lunch? Let's see it. Who's been feeding him? Jesus said to them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Do you ever wonder what God has planned for you five years from now? Come on, man. Do you ever get like, Lord, if you just show me the plan. Can I tell you 10 years ago, if God would have showed me the plan, I'd have ran. <laughs> like you're nuts. <laughs> so, I'm so glad that he doesn't show us what the next 10 years are going to look like or the next five years. But God does give us a glimpse. God does give us some vision. I can tell you the next stages for the church. I've already seen that. I can tell you that you're sitting in a building that God showed me 10 years ago. 
We were, I don't know if everybody knows this, we started, Lori and I actually started Harvest Chapel. We started in the plaza. You pass it every time you come up the driveway. In 1997, we moved into what is now the police station down there, okay? And uh, we got one, we got one room, and we began Harvest Chapel. We began the services there. Uh, within a couple of weeks, we'd actually expanded to two rooms, and we were doing children's ministries in one side, and church and the other and then we outgrew that building so we cut the wall out between them and we were allowed to do that as long as we promised to put it back and uh, so we cut the wall out between them and we rented a third unit and it was up there uh, where the pizza place is at now and the lord just kept expanding the door and when we went to the third unit we began to bargain on the property right here and started dealing with alan carey about this property because the lord showed me this build the the the, the building that we were in uh, the, the original building. Uh, I saw it in probably three years before we built it. I could have described it easily. And the Lord, uh, we went to the bank. Can I talk to you? I got time. Um, we went to the bank. Now there's, uh, uh, there's a handful of us and I went to the bank and uh, told, went to a local bank here first and I said, uh, we'd, we'd like to borrow some money. I want to build a church. He said, oh, okay, how many members do you got? <laughs> and so we started talking to him, and they laughed. And they said, you won't be able to borrow money. I said, yeah, the Lord's already told me. We just, it's going to happen. And they didn't take well to that. We went to another bank, and the same thing happened. And they, and they were both local. Well, I can tell you, one was PSB, which is now Community Banks, and the other was Adams County National Bank. And uh, went and neither one of them, because I wanted to deal locally. And so uh, we ended up going to what was then Commerce Bank, which is now Metro, and uh, had an opportunity. I actually sat with Jim Gibson, who is the president of Commerce Bank at the time, and shared my vision with him and talked with him very straight. He picked up the phone, and he called the head of his loan department, and the guy's name was Steve. And he called him, and he said, Steve, he said, I'm going to send a guy over. His name's Don Wallabaugh. Give him whatever he wants. I said, I like you. You're my new best friend. <laughs> because when God opens the door, nobody can shut it. Um, that's a frightening thing. But you knew the Lord was in the middle of it. And uh, by the time we got the building built here in 2002, uh, we, had, we were busting at the seams down there. And we moved into the building on that side. And while we were building it, the Lord showed me this side. And uh, we're, we're landlocked now. I can't build another. I'm not allowed to build another square foot on this property. But if you've ever noticed, there's 13 acres next to us with an empty building. Do you know how long it's been empty? Three years. I made a guy an offer on it three years ago. And uh, he said it was, it's a weird set of circumstances. But anyway, I told him, I said, okay, there will come a day when you will ask me to buy it from you. So now I'm waiting on him. Okay. Do you know it's still empty? They've tried to put two different businesses in there and neither one of them ever went in. I think God has a plan. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. In the meantime, Alan, who owns the plaza in front of us, has offered it to me twice. 
And I said, I'm not ready yet, Alan, but one day I'll own that too. You know what I mean? Because I believe that. I just believe God has a plan and a purpose for us. I did wonder when the diner went out and the motel went out, I said, Lord, do you want us in another bed? <laughs> Never mind. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I just feel like God's got plans and purposes. And he will reveal some things to you. You know what I mean? But here's what's cool. I honestly believe that if God showed us everything that was going to go on in the next 10 years, you'd freak out, have a nervous breakdown, and probably just rah, melt. You know what I mean? So he's in his wisdom and his love and his nature, he just he allows us to see some things that continue us to go forward in our motion, right? That we can go forward. But aren't you glad that he doesn't show you everything? Because I'm not sure we're ready for everything, okay? Now watch, because there's some neat things that he says. There's a couple of things that happens right now. Jesus said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work. Your meat is to do the will of God. When you do the will of God, I'm going to tell you some amazing things are going to happen in your life. What I find is the biggest challenge in the body of Christ, and this is where a lot of us sit, God, I want to do your will. Tell me what your will is. Okay, Lord, I'm ready. Just tell me. <laughs> and I believe a whole lot of us would do anything that we knew God wanted us to do. I, 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 can, I can say this, that probably the majority of you in this room, if God said, I really want you to just sell everything that you have and move to Russia and start a mission there, you'd be learning Russian next week. If you really knew it was the will of God. I really believe you would. I, I, just, I just believe a whole bunch of you would just say, well, okay, if that's the will of God, he'll, he'll make the way. I, I don't know what this is going to look like, but God, if that's what you want for me, I'm, I'm going to go to Russia. You know what I mean? Because I really believe you love the Lord that much and you would do whatever his will was. And what we struggle with is doing the will of God. Remember that Jesus ended up in Samaria. Remember what he said in verse 4? I must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because I only do what I see the Father do. See, that's huge to me. That's really, really huge to me. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. He knew it was the will of God for him to be in Samaria. He's going to have a revival in Samaria because the Father sent him to Samaria. And he knows that God's not going to send me to Samaria without purpose. He's not going to send me to Samaria except he's got something he wants to do in Samaria. Does it make sense? So he knows I'm here doing the Father's will. God's going to do something. When we're in the Father's will, he'll do something. God's not going to send you somewhere just to see if you'll be obedient. <laughs> I hear that stuff all the time. I'm like, come on. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. God doesn't do anything without purpose. Everything Jesus did, he did on purpose, with purpose, on purpose. Come on. And, and we got to uh, guess what? He didn't change. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I think whatever he's doing now, he does with purpose, on purpose. Does it make sense? Watch the next thing he says. So he says, and we were all familiar with this. Say not either, or yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white, all ready to harvest. Do you know what I believe? I believe when he said that, he looked, and here comes all the men out of the city of Sychar. Look, here's the fields. They're white. They're ready to harvest. The seeds have just been sown by a woman that society cast off. She represents the church. Can I tell you something? Anybody living in modern-day America can tell you they're casting off the church. It's amazing. Look, here they come. Look on the fields. They're white. They're ready to harvest. Don't tell me there's a season coming when it's harvest time. It's harvest time now. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then come with the harvest. But look on the fields. They're white. They're ready to harvest. Watch what he says immediately after that because it becomes increasingly strong. He that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit unto life eternal 
that both he that sowed and he that reaps may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one sows and another reap. Remember that I said a little while ago, the kingdom's always in seed form. What if the woman would have went in there and she preached to all these men, but nobody came out? She was incredibly successful. We measure our success by what we call results. It's one of the things we've got to be careful about is, you know what? I can remember, I can remember this. When we first got saved, we, did, did many of you have this where you went around town passing out tracts? Did a lot of you do that where you just went door to door passing out tracts? You know, because when I first got saved, that was the big thing back in the, in the late 70s. You went around passed out tracts. So here, here we are. We're going on. We're knocking on doors, passing out tracts. Okay. I had doors slammed in my face. I had women scream. I had a big black beard. I wore a black hat all the time, like a cowboy type kind of hat. It wasn't really a cowboy hat. It was more of a, I don't know, it was a Clint Eastwood style. Okay, <laughs> But anyway, uh, and, and in that process, there was people, and they, they just wouldn't let you in. They just seemed like, I think I went to, I don't know, maybe 20 houses. I think I handed out a couple of tracks. I went home. I'm feeling horrible. Lord, I, I, I thought we were doing what you wanted, but obviously it's not what you wanted. And he said, you were incredibly successful. Don't you dare judge yourself harshly because you were obedient to what I called you to do. Let me tell you something. The kingdom's always in seed form. So when you're planting the seed, even if it's not producing immediate results or immediate fruit, don't you dare feel like you weren't successful. You're still successful. Okay? He said one sows, another one comes along and reaps. Paul follows up with that. He says, Paul planted, Apollos watered. But it's always God who gives the increase. And you may be called to plant, you may be called to reap. You may be called to water. But the fact of the matter is, at some point in your life, you got to understand something. Everything that you're doing for the kingdom of God, you're being successful in. If, you, if you're sharing your testimony, and, and you know what? I believe this. One of the things I love about Saturday nights here, uh, we started doing Saturday nights, I don't know, I guess probably about six years ago now, somewhere around that, five years ago, something. And Pastor Dan started doing the Saturday nights for me. Actually, to, if, if, you've been, if, if you were part of that, we started Saturday nights probably about six or eight weeks before Pastor Dan came, before I, before I brought him on staff. And one of the things we were doing, we would do like Saturday night. Um, we started doing Saturday night. Diff, we we're going to do something different all the time. So the first Saturday night, we did Soup for the Soul and uh, set up a bunch of tables in the social hall. I had a bunch of different ladies make kettles of soup. Everybody came together and sat at a table. Every table had a Bible lesson, uh, something that they were going to sit, talk about, and share. And then we went around the room and just shared the results of, of the study. But you ate soup, and we called it soup for the soul. And I thought it was a really neat thing. I thought this could take off, okay, because people like to eat, and that's a good thing. Okay, <laughs> if you want to get people to church, feed them. Okay, so, so we started doing soup for the soul. And, and that worked out pretty good. We did a couple, we did a couple of those. We did a couple other things. But my, the, the Lord thought my heart was is there's a tremendous amount of gifts in the body of Christ. And we don't need to always hear from one person because there's so much to be learned. And if I see something in the old, in, in the first century church, what I saw was, is that one had a word and one had a psalm and the, it was the body sharing together and iron sharpening iron, the whole body lifting one another up. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. So even in the Saturday nights that we do now, there's always a variety of different people that are coming in and sharing. And one of the things that I find amazing is, is that you could be sitting there and listening to one person and get amazing stuff from them and the person next to you didn't hardly get anything. But the next person comes in, and you didn't get much from them, but the next person's like, oh, they were awesome. Because we can learn and grow from different people in different ways. Yeah. 
Okay? Uh, and it's to me, it's amazing. And what I find is, is that it's the whole body coming together, touching one another. I look at this, and I see that one sows, another reaps. Do you understand what he's saying? You might be called to sow this time and reap the next time. You might be called to reap this time, sow the next time. You may just be called to come along and water the next time. But every time that you do something for the kingdom, you're incredibly successful. Don't miss that. That to me is a huge revelation. That's application is realizing that, you know what? I shared. It might not have seemed all that effective, but you know what? Can I say this? Jesse Bowie was a friend of mine. He was pastoring. And uh, he was preaching. I called him on a Sunday afternoon. He was pastoring in Sodus, Michigan. I was pastoring in Battle Creek. And him and I were friends, and I called him. And uh, I knew the message he was preaching because he had talked to me earlier in the week, and he called me, actually asked me a doctrinal question, and we were kind of just talking over some scriptural stuff. And So I called him on Sunday afternoon, and I said, man... I said, uh, how'd the message go? You know what his reply was? I thought it was amazing. He said, I'll tell you in six months. Do you understand that? Because what he was doing was sowing into the life of his congregation. Let's see if anybody actually does anything with it now. I'll tell you in six months. Because I never thought of it that way. I thought, man, they responded and it was great. We had an altar call and people were, you know. The depth of his answer is incredible. I'll tell you in six months. Because I'm going to know you can preach like a wild man, have a tremendous emotional experience, but if people leave unchanged, you didn't have a good service. Do you understand what I just said? Yeah. We've had some emotional times in the body of Christ that have really had very little benefit. As a preacher, I can tell you, man, you can get in a place and make people shout. You can get people to jump up and down and have a hallelujah time, but the fact of the matter is, it's about transformed lives that make the difference. The woman went into Samaria. When she went into Samaria, you know what happened? The men came out. Jesus says, look on the fields. They're white. They're ready to harvest. I'm going to tell you something. He that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit. Both he that sows and he that reaps rejoices together. Okay? He says, herein is that saying true. One sows, another reap. I sent you to reap that whereupon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you're entered into their labors. That's amazing to me. Look at verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Did you catch it? They came and believed on him. And what happened? Because the woman testified. I think that's amazing. She came and shared her story and it changed the whole city. Anybody see that? That's just amazing to me. Watch this. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said. We got our own experience. And we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. I love it. Isn't that amazing? Can I say this? It's a great thing to see when God really transforms somebody's life. But it's a greater thing when you have your own revelation. I want to say this real strong. You won't get there on somebody else's revelation. 
application. I had a, I had a youth leader. She just called me, as a matter of fact. Um, and, and I can share this. Uh, she was a worship leader. Uh, she did some things with the youth here. And uh, amazing young lady. Loved Jesus. And she went to a meeting down in Virginia. And there was a man there, and, and he's got an apostolic covering, and she had tremendous respect for him. And he prophesied over her and told her that the Lord was calling her to a church in Florida where they needed a worship leader and a youth leader, and she was supposed to go. And she came back wrecked. And she told me, she said, I've, I've got to do this. And I said, well, honey, how do you feel about that in your heart? And I was red flagged immediately, I thought. And, and then I had to judge my own heart. Are you red flagged because you're going to lose Kelly, that she's going to move to Florida? Or are you red flagged because you don't really think that might have been God? And I began to ask her, how do you feel about that in your heart? And she said, I don't know, man, I'm really confused. And I said, okay, well, God's not the author of confusion. How many know if you're really confused, right there's a red flag. Back up until you hear God for yourself. But her love, respect, and admiration for the man who prophesied over her was so strong that she packed up everything she had and moved to Florida. By the end of the first year, she had had her car repoed. She was all but homeless, and she was really, really struggling on some terrible things. And she says, Pastor Don, I don't understand. Why would God send me here? to go through all this. How many understand that? Okay. She was moving on another man's revelation. Let me tell you something. You're sons and daughters of a king. You have the right and the privilege and the opportunity to hear God for yourself. You've got to have your own revelation. Please hear this. This is really strong. Over the last couple of weeks, we've sat with Pastor Dan I think the guy's amazing. He scares me. (laughs) I talk with him a lot. We spend a lot of time together just being able to share, and I hear his heart in a lot of ways. There are some things. If you hand Pastor Dan a book, I can pretty well guarantee you he probably won't read it because he sees that as another man's revelation. And I don't want to be influenced by another man's revelation. I want to have my own revelation. Do you understand what I just said? That messes with my head because I'm a reader. I read everybody's books. I've gleaned tremendously from stuff that Pastor Pastor Bill Johnson has written. I've gleaned tremendously from a guy named Miles Monroe. If any of you have ever heard of him, pastor from Nassau, Bahamas. I've gleaned tremendously from some stuff Tommy Tenney wrote. I think Tommy Tenney wrote some incredible stuff in years past. And just a few authors. I mean, there's a zillion of them out there that have, and I think they put their revelation down. And boy, I don't, I don't think there's, I don't have a problem gleaning from that. But I can't live off of their revelation. I have to take ownership of it myself. So Pastor Dan started coming and preaching on Saturday nights here at Harvest Chapel. He's preaching every Saturday night. And I never missed a Saturday. And I had church members that were shocked and said, well, you really don't even have to be here. I said, no, I get to. (laughs) And they didn't understand that. And I'm thinking, I don't understand you. Why aren't you here every week? This is amazing. Because, see, I love to eat and Dan's a good cook. 
I don't know if that makes sense to everybody. But I can't live off of his revelation. I have to take ownership for myself. Please understand when I say this. It, it has to become personal. It has to become your own. You can sit and glean all the information here. But it becomes personal when it gets here. Do you know when you know you really own it? When you find yourself in crisis. Do you understand what I just said? When it's your natural response, not something that you have to think about. When you just do it, you don't have to think about doing it. When you get squeezed, what's inside of you is going to come out. You got to know what's inside of you. How many ever heard Dan say this, but it's a strange day if you squeeze a grape and get apple juice. You all understand that? It's a strange day if you squeeze a Christian and anything but Christ comes out. Do you get it? That's a good revelation right there. Yeah. So here's where we're at, okay? You got this woman who has an incredible life change because Christ has come into her life. She represents the church. How many know there's a whole lot of the church that's still wandering around trying to find the well? Jesus said it's, it's a Kairos moment. I've got to get to the well because brides are found at wells. Man, I'm going to go here. Jesus is looking for a bride, not a date. Word. <laughs> He's looking for a bride, not a date. He doesn't want a girlfriend. He wants a bride. It's intimacy. Come to the well, find intimacy, and then carry the message. It'll transform your town. It'll transform your metron. The whole area of influence around you gets transformed. But it only happens when we spend time at the well. We've got to get to the well, man, because your life will be changed there. I know you're here because you're thirsty. You you want to drink at the well. You don't change your life and come to a 13-week class four days a week and not say it's because, well, I'm in a casual relationship with God. <laughs> See, I just don't think any of you are in a casual relationship. But what I find is, is that here's what I do believe. I believe that sometimes we struggle because we feel like we're not really worthy to carry the message. Look at this woman, man. She's been rejected, abandoned, cast off. Society doesn't even count her. They've completely discounted her. But she carries a message and it transforms the whole city. And then men come because of her word, but then they come back to her and say, now we believe, not because you told us we got it for ourselves. That's huge to me, okay? Why? Because we're never... We're only pointing people to him. We're never pointing them to us. Please hear that. We're never pointing him to us. We're only pointing them to him. Now we can believe because we got it for ourselves. That's huge to me. The church was always meant to point the world to Christ. Now we can believe because we got it for ourselves. It's huge. So there's a lot to glean from that. But it comes back to this. And I'm going to come back to my original thought and we're going to close. You get to the well because it's at the well. There's intimacy. It's calling to the, the bride. 
Because brides were made for intimacy. I have a lot of girls that I'm friends with. Don't tell my wife I have a lot of girlfriends. Okay? <laughs> but I have one bride that's meant for intimacy. Brides are found at wells. And at the well, intimacy happened. Touched her at the point of her need. Give me a drink. Go get your husband. Those two phrases don't even seem like they would link together. Give me a drink. Go get your husband. Oh my gosh, everything changes because he gave her to drink at the point of pain, abandonment, rejection. Everything that was wrong with her, he touched in one statement and things begin to transform. And once that happened, she becomes a carrier. Do you understand you're a carrier? You're called to carry his presence. You have his DNA in you. Everything in your life transforms, but it comes from a place of intimacy at the well. And out of intimacy, we destroy the works of the devil. He calls us to that place. Yeah, go ahead, Mark, and then we're going to... Lots of different ways you go. But one of the things I find interesting about the story, so many places he said, don't, don't tell people who I am. Right. Yet he says, I am. I am he. And he... It's so direct. Oh, it's like no question. Yeah, he revealed himself to her. In so many other places he didn't. Right. But here he did. Yeah. And I think that's really significant. Yeah. I've actually had people that want to argue theologically, well, Jesus never really claimed he was the Messiah. Read John 4. <laughs> it's pretty clear to me he claimed it. Okay, yeah. I'm he. He that speaketh, it's me. Okay. Right? Let me go here. Out of intimacy, we're called to destroy the works of the devil. We find that at the well. Jesus is the well. I promise you, man. I, I really believe this. I, I honestly believe one of the things that I really, really prayed a lot about, and even the idea of doing these classes, because I felt like it was the right thing to do. I felt like God was in it. I, I knew that it was going to be time-consuming. It would be very challenging for people to even be a part of. But here you are, and you're a part of that. And in the process of that, one of the things I said is, Lord, my sincere, heartfelt cry is that at the end of 13 weeks, we can come out of this place so transformed only because of intimacy with you. Not because we gained a whole bunch of head knowledge, but because our hearts were transformed and we're in a place of intimacy with you. So my heart comes back to this message. Out of intimacy, we're called to go out and destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose was the Son of Man revealed. In your life, we're destroying the works of the devil everywhere around us. God help us. Just, just, just bow your hearts with me. Just, we're just going to pray. Father, I thank you. What an amazing opportunity we have, God, to come to a place of intimacy in you that's deeper and stronger than any other place we've ever been. Lord, I thank you because we're dedicating this season, this, this quarter of a year with one purpose, one intent, and that's to find a deeper place of intimacy than we've ever known before. So we yield our hearts, God, like the woman at the well. God, we've, we, we've probably all been down paths where we felt like we weren't worthy, like we felt like we weren't to be counted, where we felt like we didn't really have a place and maybe we didn't even have a voice. Maybe even our own family rejected us and we felt like we don't even have a voice in our family. But God, you were opening up doors all along. You're calling us to a place of intimacy. You're calling us to a place, Lord, where, where we're just the messenger, but you're still the message. And God, when that message is anointed by your spirit and breathed on by the Holy Ghost, uh, the 
lives of men and women around us will be transformed. Holy Spirit, I thank you that these men came because of what she said, but they were transformed because of who you are. So, Father, I thank you for what you're doing. And I'm asking, use us, God, that we might be in a position where we have a voice to speak into somebody's life, where we have a voice, Lord, to be able to just, just to be able to proclaim a message, God, that the kingdom of heaven has come and everyone has a right to enter into it, God. I'm asking, help us to, to just become, Lord, that, that messenger. You said, look on the fields, they're white. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'd send forth laborers into the harvest. Lord, you've called us to be laborers carrying the message. So I thank you for it and in it and ask God for your favor and your blessing upon all of our lives. God, I thank you for open doors and opportunities that we didn't even see before, but we'll find them in our lap real soon in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys, for coming today on a rainy Monday. We'll do it tomorrow. There'll be a different teacher, okay? (laughs) Amen.